This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the Monday morning to you. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. A whole new day, a whole new week. Something to celebrate, but it is, it's not just any day, folks. It's Submarine Day, the day we celebrate John Philip Holland, who engineered the first submarine in 1898. Mm. And it's National 8-Track Day. For those that are uh, keeping score, if you ever had to slam in an 8-Track tape and dislocated your shoulder, today's the day we celebrate the that wonderful, wonderful invention of the 8-Track Tape, which played... Also, another thing we're celebrating today, Louis Louis Day. Richard Berry wrote this song. Now, you can't tell if it's Louis Louis or Louis Louis, because I think he was, I think he was intoxicated. He was inebriated when he sang this song. Uh, anyway, this song has been, um, you know, recorded over 1,000 times. But, and this uh, isn't even his version. This isn't his? No, he did a Calypso version. <laughs> this is the Kingsman. This oh, okay. is the one everyone kind of knows This is like the famous one, the, the, the most known one. But he wrote another one, and this is the version that took off. Sadly, he never made much money on it because he sold the rights for 750 bucks to pay for his wedding. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. So happy Louis Louis or Louis Louis blah 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 day. Uh, we got a lot coming up. Joe Cannon will be joining uh, joining us in just a few minutes to be talking all things political. Holy cow! We got to find out uh, if it's true. Is Ted Cruz really buying off delegates? According to Donald Trump, he is. We'll get to that. But first, let's get to Joe Carson in the headlines. Find out what else is going on around the world. Thank you, Matt. Republican candidate Ted Cruz won the 13 delegates up for grabs at Colorado's convention Saturday, solidifying his sweep of all 34 delegates. As the Texas senator keeps picking up delegates, he increases the odds that frontrunner Donald Trump will not be able to lock up enough delegates to secure the nomination outright, instead forcing a contested convention in July. Bernie Sanders won the Wyoming caucus Saturday, marking his eighth win over Hillary Clinton in the last nine state contests. Sanders led Clinton with 56 percent support to 44 percent. Wyoming has 14 delegates, and Clinton still holds a large lead in delegates and superdelegates overall. A new poll shows that with less than two weeks to go until New York's primary contests, Donald Trump holds a 32-point lead. Trump held 54% support from likely voters. John Kasich and Ted Cruz were far behind him. Hillary Clinton has 53% support to Bernie Sanders' 37%. The April 19th matchups are personal for Trump, Clinton, and Sanders, all of whom have called New York home at some point during their lives. According to officials, a Taiwan-born United States Navy officer has been accused of passing secrets to China. Lieutenant Commander Edward Lin is facing charges of multiple counts of espionage, communicating defense information, and making false official statements. The service said the officer is assigned to the headquarters for the Patrol and Reconnaissance Group, which manages maritime patrol aircraft. Lin became a naturalized citizen in Honolulu in 2008. 
England's Danny Willett won the Masters after defending champion Jordan Spieth collapsed on the 12th hole in the final round at Augusta National on Sunday. The 12th-ranked Willett finished three shots ahead of Lee Westwood and Spieth. Willett is the first Englishman to win the Masters since Nick Faldo's third win in 1998. Back to you, Matt. Thank you, Joseph. Well done, my friend. Hey, um interesting kind of political world, very quiet this weekend without Donald Trump. Donald did not step in and and have any interviews, any pressers. Well, he never really steps in anywhere. He just gets on the phone. Yeah. He, so he didn't pick he up the phone. He was very quiet. Yeah. It was kind of nice, I guess. I didn't have a chance to watch much. But he he's laying low. Apparently a new strategy. Back off? Back off. Less is more? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That doesn't seem to work with his personality much. No. Well, it's he's dying to say something. But I bet you the idea is he's he's running up a huge lead in New York. Let's not blow it by talking. That's what my wife says all the time. You're ahead. Stop. Let's not blow it by flapping those gums of yours. So he's, he's laying low, which, you know, new strategy. But uh, his I guess what he's now doing is having some of his people speak for him. Paul Manafort, who is the new convention manager, I guess they're calling him. He's the vote getter. He's the arm twister. I don't yeah. know what they're calling him. Well, it. they need to have somebody leading the effort when they get to the they get to the uh, convention. Yeah, you got to you you keep to start your delegates. Keeping delegates and then trying to get other delegates to, to join your side, someone needs to lead that and have that all, all organized. That's what this guy does. So he's now speaking for Donald. And maybe that's some of this is they had to lay low, maybe reorganize their team a bit. So... Paul Manafort steps out, but he's claiming that Cruz is engaging in Gestapo tactics, which is – on uh, CNN, they're trying to get another fella to talk about what does Gestapo tactics mean, and he goes, well, it makes – it's just – it is what it is. But what, it's self-explanatory. So is it – but I guess part of what they're saying is that uh, that Cruz may be you know, paying some of these people for their votes. He might be giving them a trip. Like a trip to Cleveland, he might pay for the trip to Cleveland. Give but, him a VIP experience. But is that that's not happening? There's not evidence, is there, of that? Maybe, maybe not. Paul Manafort says there is. But even just bringing it up, mm-hmm. well, yeah, you cause, just put put a little shadow of impropriety, and then it turns into something. Well, and this isn't Trump says this isn't the system. The system isn't that we you, you switch the delegates by paying them off. The switches we pay him off before to get him to vote for us. Why, why is he all of a sudden surprised that politics can be shifty? I don't know. <laughs> it's like it's like it's he wasn't expecting this. Now you know who's got it working right is Kasich because Kasich pretty much has found the key to my heart. Can we make Monday after the Super Bowl a national holiday? It should be. I mean, there's no productivity whatsoever. Exactly. Yeah, I think it should be. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that under consideration. Mm. Maybe I could get that done in the first hundred days. You got my vote. There you go. You totally got my vote. People also brought up after the an NCAA championship game. Yeah. Well, in, I mean, in the cities involved right. for the most part. They it, there's no productivity the week before or the week after. Why don't we just take a bunch of weeks off? In fact, let's test the truthometer. Would that would that get more votes? Huh? Yeah. The truthometer tells no lies. If someone actually ran on that. If yeah. they wanted to make that a national – I would vote them in. I would too. That is an important concept that I support. I've supported that for years. Yeah. 
It's the one. It's it's an event where usually you end up somewhere, or you spend a a, a, a late night uh-huh. leading yeah. it in that Sunday, and then you right. end up back into work Monday morning. Well, no, I'd rather have the big game home. not on a Sunday, so we could keep the Sabbath day holy. Well, there's that. Let's have that on it. Let's have the big game on a Friday, and no. take the Friday off and the Monday off. Some would say that is keeping the Sabbath day holy. Depends on your Sabbath day. Yeah, and depends on your holy. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks for the infidel. There is the Church of the NFL, too. So. <laughs> that is so sad. Uh, by the way, Obama pressed pretty um, hard. Not He had to answer, is Hillary being careless with emails? And he couldn't dodge it. He couldn't. He tried. But he came right out and said this. I continue to believe that she has not jeopardized America's national security. Now, what I've also said is that there's a carelessness in terms of managing emails. Because a while ago he said she has not jeopardized us, except now they they know that 12 or so hyper-uber, top-critical, top, what do they call them, top-secret messages have have gotten through on her email. So they asked, does that mean... You still going to stand by that? And he still stands by. She hasn't jeopardized anything. But she did agree. He just used her own words that she has been careless. She's been careless. Now, some are saying he's signaling to the Justice Department the decision that should come out. What do you have to say, infidel? Infidel. (laughs) I believe my name was Chuck on Friday. Was it Chuck? Or something like that. Um, well, your last time you gave us the infidel view of the Super Bowl, I would like to know the infidel view of the Obama. Um, Clinton email scandal. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. You can't couch it. Just Once tell us what it is. Allegedly, it's over. Well, anyway, that's all right. He's not. He's not. He, he specifically does not want to influence the Department of Justice case. I guarantee that there is no political influence in any investigation conducted by the Justice Department or the FBI, not just in this case, but in any case. And she will be full stop, period. And she will be treated no differently. Guaranteed, full stop. Nobody gets treated differently when it comes to the Justice Department because nobody is above the law. Even if she ends up as the Democratic How many times do I have to say it, Chris? <laughs> you got a little agitated. Welcome back to Fox News. So that's the, that's Chris Wallace from Fox News interviewing the president, which is yeah. a rare thing, right? Well, and Chris Wallace, uh, there's other people on that network that would turn it into a uh, sideshow. Yeah, Chris is great. Where Chris Wallace tries to keep it pretty straight. He's just being getting a definitive answer mm-hmm. as a politician is sitting across from him trying not to yeah. definitively answer. I mean, and it's, again, if you were the president, I would just quit doing any interviews. You can't really do that. Ah, you need to talk to the people. Blasted. Yeah. Yeah. You're still a president of the people. Because inevitably you're in between two ferns or you're on some goody, some guy's podcast in a garage in L.A. and you end up <laughs> having to talk to the actual media. Yeah. You got to do something. <laughs> you got to do You, you got to – you're still the president of you, the United States. You fill out your brackets on ESPN. Mm-hmm. Hey, speaking of bracketology. Ooh. Kind of. Huh? The Warriors. Oh, yeah. They beat the Spurs. They're going to enter into a type of bracket here in about a week. They've got, the, they've got a legitimate record now. They're, They're they've, tied. Tied, they've tied the record. Yeah. They've got one more game. Who's it against? 
The, the Memphis Grizzlies. Memphis Grizzlies. That took them to a tight game the other night. They beat. They, uh, yeah, they the uh, the Warriors beat Memphis by one point. Mm. I turned that on. And went whoa, whoa! One more win. They have the most wins of any NBA team in the history of the NBA. That's huge. Plus, they beat. They ruined the Spurs' record at home. Home wins. They were undefeated at home. The Spurs were, and they beat their own loss record against the Spurs. They hadn't beat the Spurs since what ninety seven. Yeah. Plus, oh, I think they also had the best record um, on the road in the NBA. I believe so. In the history of the NBA, this is a record winning team. It's what happens when you win a lot. Yeah, it's like what happens when you win. That's some inside information right there. A lot if of. If you depth. win quite a bit, you're going to start setting some records. They're 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 a great team, Take and they're that deep. To the bank. And luckily, the Jazz may get a chance to play him first round. Just get eviscerated. Well, they'll they'll come close in two games. <laughs> no, two of the four. And this is the argument. Mm-hmm. You start looking at sports teams, and if you barely make the playoffs, or if you barely miss the playoffs, you're all. It's almost even when is it, it comes really? to what the effect will be on your franchise because you're not getting any better because you walk into the playoffs and you play the best team and get beat. Right. Or you go to the you go to the draft and you get one of the middle of the road sort of they're, yeah. they're a player that's going to probably go on your bench and maybe get cut. They're not going to necessarily help your franchise, but you're not going to hurt. You're not really going to improve. You're going to be in the middle, right? But so yay, yay, nothing. But you do get four or whatever, two more games at least. Yeah, which is that's a little revenue. Are they going to be competitive? Well, revenue's great. Mm-hmm. They make about they said about a million dollars for a home game. Do they really? Yeah. That oh, was several years ago. I'm in the wrong business. Yeah. I should have bought a team. Could have been. Guess I would have needed about a million dollars. <laughs> What's the team running for now? Jazz are worth three hundred million or something? Something like that. Yeah, I'm in trouble. That'll take a year or two to get together. Some friends. <laughs> hmm. Get some seed money. It's Louis Louis Day. Is that are, how you say it? Are you saying Louis Louis? Louis Louis. But he's like It's Louis Louis. Well, but it's the same word twice. Well, it, well, unless you hear how he pronounces it. Well, he's doing it wrong. Well, I don't know. Do you know him? Do you know Louis? Well, no, but I mean, the guy he wrote. The, I, he I have, wrote play, it the I have wrote played it. that song on a trombone about five hundred times, so I speak from experience. Actually, you don't speak. You blow into a. <laughs> See, listen to this. Turn it up. Let's. We're going to be talking to Joe Cannon in a minute. We're going to leave you on this great song, Louie Louie, but if you listen, it's Louie Louie. It probably changes throughout the song. I think it does. I think it changes throughout his night. Anyway, we'll take a break, folks. Come back with the great Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. Who better to help us through this crazy thing going on in D.C. and across the country called the, the election process than Joe Cannon? Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. As we love to do, uh, we like to review the uh, politics every Monday morning so that you can, you know, start your week out right. Who better to help us with that than our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. Joe is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, an organization that is trying to lower the fuel costs for North Americans and, uh, and, and you know, improve uh, 
the use of fuel and the markets for for uh, for oil and gas, natural gas as well, I guess. But he's trying to help really make it uh, more affordable for all of us. So we appreciate that. And he also was a candidate for U.S. Senate. He was past uh, chairman of the Utah Republican Party back in the day. He serves as an assistant administrator of the U.S. EPA underneath um, Ronald Reagan and was editor of uh, Deseret News, uh, an Intermountain newspaper here in the West that's uh, very well known. And uh, he served as the editor there. So he's on the inside track. And we love to have him on the show to pick his brain about everything that's going on politically. Joe Cannon, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Hey, and thank you for the Nelly, uh, the Neti Pot. That was oh. that was a, an experience in drowning that I had never had. Now, did you really actually? I tried it? it. I did. I had. I went and got the the pot pot and figured out how to mix the goods that you gave me. And guess what? It it actually works, but it's like. It, it, it's you really have to learn a little bit of Zen, uh, you know, <laughs> meditation to be able to not kill yourself. <laughs> okay. But it, but it really, oh, it does feel good though when that warm uh, water's kind of rinsed you out. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. And you know what? I'm better. I'm healed. Good. You sound great. You healed me. Hey, um, what do you think? The, Ted Cruz is seems to be like the just he's getting beat up big time in New York. You know, he is, and uh, of course he said New York values, whatever that might be. Yeah, that was dumb. But, uh, but you know, New York is more than New York City. Right. Uh, and even in New York City, uh, the, the way it works in New York, it's congressional district by congressional district. And so if a person doesn't get uh, 50% or more in a congressional district, they split the delegates. So, well... Trump may well win fifty percent overall. Yeah, a, lo- a lot of that may come in different in districts that um, have don't you know don't have enough kind of how to work. You got, for example, in the New York City, you've got all these r- congressional districts that have very few Republicans in them, mm-hmm. and it's it's possible that he'll uh, he Trump will win a chunk of those. But there are lots of Republican districts around the state. They have more party-like, uh, party regulars, party faithful, who might be inclined uh, to not vote for Trump. And by the way, it's a closed primary. Hmm. Which so, which Trump doesn't usually do very well in, right? Generally not, although sometimes he has done well. It's an anomaly that I don't, frankly, I don't really understand. But but I think in New York, it, it being a closed primary probably doesn't help Trump. Does this is an interesting thing because um, you know when it comes to like the polls, Cruz is running third, Kasich second, a distant second at twenty two percent. Cruz is at fifteen percent, but Trump is carrying fifty four percent of the vote. But what you're really saying though is none of that may matter because Cruz still may be able to get in there and steal a third of the votes or a, a third of the delegates. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Or a percentage. I mean, he'll, he'll eventually get. I mean, Trump is clearly dominant. He does have the home court advantage, and he's going to get the lion's share of the delegates. <clears throat> it just might not be quite as many as you'd, you'd think. Mm-hmm. A guy who like this this could be the very first primary. Of course, it's still you know a little over a week to go, but it could be the first primary that Trump actually gets fifty percent plus 
of the voters. Hmm. But even in that case, Kasich and Cruz could come away with some delegates. Talk about the delegate thing, because we're hearing more about the delegates than probably ever uh, in recent time. And in fact, uh, now Paul Manafort, who's uh, pre- or, uh, Trump's new, you know, kind of convention manager slash delegate delegate wrangler, he's he's now claiming that the Cruz team is engaging in Gestapo tactics. Talk about delegates and what uh, what's the what's the battle going on? How do we use Gestapo tactics on a delegate? Well, there are so many layers of irony in the use of that term by the Trump campaign in general, and Paul Manafort in particular. (laughs) Because um, the last time there was a, quote, brokered convention, or at least where it wasn't obvious going into the convention, who was going to win was not in the 1800s or early 1900s or the middle of the century. It was 1974, and that was between Reagan and Ford. And uh, I wasn't at that convention, actually, but I knew a lot about it, knew a lot of people who were there. The Ford campaign, uh, with at least the help of Paul Manafort, I don't know if he was the, the chief delegate picker then, I don't think he was, but he was clearly on the Ford team, uh, just beat the heck out of uh, state delegations and did everything possible at that convention to barely, and I think it actually came down to like South Carolina or Mississippi, where they finally got enough delegate votes to put Ford over uh, the top, and they used every tactic possible, and Paul Manafort was on that team and knows whereof he speaks. Wow. Uh, And they barely squeaked it out for Ford, and the irony of that is, and this is true of many reports and books that have been written about that uh, Ronald Reagan in general, but that particular event in in particular... uh, so Ford sort of spontaneously asked Reagan to give a uh, give the closing talk, basically. So unprepared, although, of course, Reagan was never unprepared. He got, gets up and gives this astonishing talk, you know, healing talk, but very mm-hmm. motivational, just like Ronald Reagan. And the delegates in the hall, not maybe not to a person, but the, for sure the majority, if he'd given that talk first instead of last, he might have been the presidential nominee. Wow. But anyway... Paul Manafort knows a lot about so-called Gestapo tactics, but I also find it uh, ironic that the the chief brown shirt campaign campaigner himself, Donald Trump, would use those uh, those words. Here's what's happening: the bully, the, the schoolyard bully, Donald Trump, is also a deeply insecure, deeply narcissistic person, and when things aren't going quite his way, he whines, whines, whines <laughs> in a very big way. And what you get here is a guy who's supposedly the art of the deal, the great businessman, the genius of all time, the guy who's going to consult with himself first on deep policy, uh, uh, deep foreign policy issues. That's the guy who's the smartest guy in the world, and he can't figure out the rules. They're rules that govern this whole system. Yeah. And they're perfectly well known. And it's why, why he brought in Manafort in the first place is because he's, he doesn't get all the rules, and they're rules. And, uh, you know, they just got wiped out in Colorado uh, because nobody there understood the rules. They didn't have people on the ground. They don't understand the ground game. They don't understand grassroots. They think all you need to do is give a talk saying what does not even sure they qualify as platitudes, 
uh, and and get a set number of people coming your way, and you win. And that's just not what the rules are for either party, by the way. So in the end, though, is does this bode positively, negatively? Does this see, this seems to make the convention even more erratic, more crazy? Well, I I think we're heading toward a contested convention, uh, and and what that means is the the first person who gets 50 plus, 50% plus one wins. And if Donald Trump doesn't get that number of delegates on the first ballot, I and quite a lot of people, real insiders, as you would call them, <laughs> just don't think he has, he has what it takes to get all the rest of the delegates because many, many, many of those pledged delegates are party regulars. Uh, some of them might like Trump. Some of them just happen to be elected a, a, a delegate. And they, you know, it's a huge number, and it varies depending on the commentator. But, you know, as many as 80 to plus percent of those delegates are not bound after the first uh, the first ballot. That's where people would then say, that's where the, 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 you know, the scuttle is. Then they'll sneak in a Ryan, but you usually say it won't be a third party person or a third entrant. It would be, it'll be Cruz. Well, it'll be yeah. I think it'll be Cruz. I think there is there's there is a chance that it wouldn't be, but eighty percent of the delegates there plus are going to be Cruz or Trump delegates, uh, or people who who people who don't support Trump. I mean, again, for all of uh, Trump's kvetching, to use a good <laughs> New York Yiddish word, for all of his kvetching, he still hasn't won fifty percent of the vote in any state. Right. A. And if you look at the delegates tallies now, including what happened last week in Colorado, you've got Trump 743, not Trump 859. Hmm. You've got a lot of not Trump, and those really probably are not Trump. The only delegates, the funny in the Venn diagram of Trump, not Trump, the only delegates likely that go in there for a candidate, not Trump, who might go for Trump, are all Cruz delegates. Hmm. It's highly, it's highly unlikely that a oh, that's true. A, kind of the anti-establishment. Kasich, yeah, that a Kasich or a um, Rubio delegate is going to wake up and think, "Oh, I think I'm going to support Donald Trump." Yeah. So he's got a he's got a big hurdle, and then when you get down to the battle, the very nitty gritty of choosing who those delegates are, state by state by state. You know, again, I take Utah state. A lot of your listeners are in right now doesn't have any delegates chosen for the convention. That happened on, on April 23rd hmm. at the state convention. Now, Utah is not going to matter because it's an all, <clears throat> excuse me, it's an all Cruz state. But you can imagine if it were a Trump state, a lot of those delegates who will even be on a Trump slate could be, you know, the Utah County chairman or it could be a lot of different people uh, who would be pledged to Trump but would easily split after a first uh, first vote. Yeah, no, and it's that's the, gra- and that's the ground game. All, all Cruz is doing is he happens to be extremely well organized on the ground, and he's winning those little battles day by day. So he'll go win an election, or Trump could win an election, but his people stay on the ground fighting then for the delegate and the delegate and, and to get as many delegates out of each state as possible. Or get elected on slates, even if they're if they are committed to Trump. Mm. 
uh, get people on slates who won't necessarily go all the way through all the ballots with it. That's interesting. So really, if Trump uh, doesn't secure the the enough delegates before the convention, he's really in trouble. If he doesn't, then he'll still get the first draft. The first round will go to him because I guess they're obligated to uh, those that have those that he has won. But then it's the second vote on that could go any which way. Right, right. Wow. It, it, it decreases. I mean, the rules in every state, like, for example, Florida binds their delegates. I think there are 90 delegates. They are bound for the first three ballots. Hmm. But there are little wrinkles all the way around. But percentage-wise, after the first ballot, it's like well over 50% are, are then unbound. And by the way, you start out with 200 delegates unbound right off. Right. Which if they're all party, you know, if they're all more establishment type of party members, they're not going to be necessarily pro-Trump either or even pro-Cruz. Yeah, well, they're they are good point. And they're not necessarily the establishment. I mean, in the in the various states where these people are selected, you have you have lots of strong conservatives Mm -hmm. in charge of the party apparatus. And they just don't like Trump. They're not. I mean, you've got kind of two anti-Trump factions, the true establishment, and we've had this conversation, whatever that is. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, the 29 lobbyists on on uh, K Street, I, I don't know who, who the Republican establishment is, but at the state party level, that, quote, establishment, close quote, is mostly conservatives yeah. who, who for, with whom Trump doesn't resonate. Yeah, no, that's... It's interesting, man. It's 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 going to be a crazy, crazy convention. Okay, let's take a break, Joe. We'll come back, continue the discussion. I want to find out what you think about Bernie Sanders. It seems like uh, that's heating up. There's they're exchanging more words than ever, and uh, Bernie's. I don't know. I mean, you know, how do you beat Hillary? But we'll find out what you think about Bernie's uh, take. He keeps picking up states, some of them, you know, tiny Wyoming, but nonetheless keeps winning. We'll take a break. Continue this discussion, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, see the good in the world and hopefully see through this crazy political process. We'll be right back. friends to the Matt Townsend show joining us on the phone uh, our good friend uh, Joe Cannon who is our Washington insider he hates to be called that but you know he's been it's it's been it's it's been he's been called from a higher source naming namingly uh, Washington DC so he's got the insider tag on him and uh, Joe is also the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation trying to lower the costs uh, in North America for fuel, folks, making your life a little bit easier, improve the markets, you know, it's a good thing. Save us all some money as well as uh, maybe be more efficient in our use of fuel as well. So, uh, Joe Cannon, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks, Matt. Thanks a lot. What do you think about um, what's going on on the Democratic side? Uh, it seems like uh, he's not going away. Bernie Sanders is now apparently, you know, making some great gains in uh, California as well. He just won Wyoming. And, you know, forever it keeps seeming like Hillary's got a lock on this thing. But 
she she can't seem to shake him off. I don't know what to make of it. I, I guess I'm in the camp of people who cannot imagine a Bernie Sanders <laughs> candidacy winning uh, and because Hillary Clinton and her team just have their hands on all of the dials in, in, in most of the states and certainly a lot of the big states. On the other hand, he keeps winning this popularity contest and he keeps winning some delegates, although it, there's again, numerous articles showing that there's a, it's like a mathematical impossibility that it gets there. Right. So I, I don't know what to make of it. You know, uh, I mean, I, a more interesting fact, again, which I have a hard time believing, but if you look at the national head-to-head polls, so Hillary beats Trump, she ties with Cruz, and Kasich beats her. In Sanders versus Trump, Sanders versus uh, Cruz, Sanders versus Kasich, he destroys all three of them. Does he really? Uh, nationwide, yeah. I, was, I would destroy his pride. Probably a little over the top word, but he beats all three of them pretty handily. handily. Wow! So you're you're wondering if if that were to be true, I guess there is a case somewhere along the line that these super delegates who have a lots of control inside the Democrat uh, Democrat uh, convention could turn. I, I just can't imagine them turning to a seventy four year old <laughs> white curmudgeon from Vermont, which has no electoral votes to speak of. So, uh, I don't know. It's a weird... Uh, but then, did you see when the gloves came off and there was the misquote that Hillary Clinton, uh, Secretary Clinton, had said that Bernie would, you know, isn't qualified? Then Bernie retorted, "She's not qualified." And anyway, they went back and forth, and then that, they kind of cleared that up last week. Um, but in there somewhere, her claim was basically he's not even a Democrat. I mean, he's he's just recently converted to being a Democrat. But then there was a little talk that Bernie, if this got bad, Bernie could um, just run his own election, just run in another party. Now, if all of a sudden Hillary Clinton's running in in the general election as the Democratic nomination, Bernie was running in some third party offer and Trump ended up doing the same thing. And let's say Cruz, what happens well, let me add one little bit. I just read a piece last week of, of apparently there are some very conservative uh, billionaires who are trying to get the former, uh, uh, I don't know, who's the chief of staff, but, but uh, the, the, a former retired Marine Corps general to run as president. And their goal now gets to what could happen. If you had, if you had four or five candidates running, and nobody got 270, so no one gets 270 electoral votes. Hmm. It goes to the House of Representatives to choose. Oh, wow. And they choose, and it's the newly elected one, so it's not the existing one. Yeah. Uh, although it, I I personally don't see the Republicans losing the House, and, and I don't think any other pundit does. But... Um, yeah, it goes to it, it, no one gets two seventy. It goes to the House of Representatives because I could see in a bad convention that a Donald Trump, if he's not going to be listened to or you know valued or whatever, that he'll go run his own uh, in another party. And I could, I mean, just seeing how ugly it got with Hillary, if they don't take good care of Bernie, I could see he would bolt. 
Why yeah, wouldn't you? Why, you have a following, and he can get the money, and you, you don't necessarily believe in the party anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a little bit of a false accusation on Senator, Secretary Clinton's part. Yeah, he's, he hasn't been a Democrat. He's not a Democrat, but A, it doesn't matter in Vermont. B, he caucuses with the Democrats in the Senate and votes Democrat on virtually all issues. So, But, you, but you're right, it doesn't take much uh, for a third-party candidate in either party to damage the uh, the main parties mm-hmm. candidates. You know, you know, a lot of people. You know, there's huge debate over this. You know, uh, who stole the election in Florida? But Florida wouldn't even have been a contest if it hadn't been for Ralph Nader, right? Uh, right. Winning a very thin percentage of uh, the, the votes there. So it it doesn't take much. I I will say one practical check on all this thing. If you look at when the parties conventions are in July, uh, to get on a ballot as a third-party candidate, you've got to be at work today mm-hmm. uh, organizing and planning that to get enough people to have the signatures in uh, a huge chunk of which have to be done in August, and then and the rest are in September, and I think only two or three are in, in October. So, so to get on those ballots is... Uh, is a challenge. Yeah, that would be people who who get disappointed in the convention in July, and unless they're really organized to, to get out, you know, Bernie might be that organized. Trump is clearly not that organized. <laughs> Trump is not able to organize a ground game. Right, right, now, right. In the Republican convention that he's known about for a long time. Well, and it seems like you almost. Because you, this is kind of an anti-incumbent, anti-establishment push by Sanders and Trump that you just can't – these people aren't going to just lose. I mean they're, they're going to be mad. So it, whatever happens to the 25, 35 percent of Trump followers in the GOP, if he gets pushed out, a good percentage of them aren't going to be happy. And they could easily vote for a third-party candidate. Right. And, and so, and it's the same on the Sanders side. But Sanders, maybe is pulling. I mean, he is getting a bigger percentage than Trump is, right? Um, he is. I did hear somebody give a rundown on the millions of votes more that Secretary Clinton has gotten right. over Sanders. But um, yeah, I haven't looked at. I'll hmm. look at that. Look at that next week at the actual vote tallies by state. Yeah, it's just it's it's just really this is the craziest election cycle. What um what are you paying attention to? What are some things that we need? To, I mean, by the way, Bernie's going to uh, the Vatican, which is really right. interesting, right? No one else was invited to the Vatican, but Bernie Bernie's going. Not not clear that Bernie was actually invited, but uh, oh really. Yeah, no, there's a little kind of back and forth on whether he just sort of volunteered to come over. And I don't know who he had conversations with, but one of the things that could be unraveling for Senator Sanders is that uh, he does make some gaffes himself. Yeah. And he's made some gaffes on Israel. Uh, you know, here's, you know, one of the few Jewish guys ever to run for president. And, uh, you know, it's not clear that he's warming up uh, uh, on people who support Israel. I, I, just one thing, I'm, it's not, it doesn't follow the category of big things that I'm following up 
they're thinking about right now, but I ha- happen to be in California right now and uh, seeing kind of this little Bernie surge and a cruise surge uh, where Trump is nowhere near getting 50% of the vote here. Mm. And in California, it's, it's, as in New York, by the way, it's congressional district by congressional district. For the first time in my life, my adult life anyway, uh, California might make a difference. You know, it's, it, it's primary is always the last of the pri- in in the actually there's five or six other primaries that day, but much smaller states. But generally, this thing has been decided in March. Now it's not even decided in April, and it might not be decided till June right. 7th in California. So this may end up being a player. They may end up being a really important part of the game. Yeah. Is it? Have you noticed too? And all the talk and scuttle about uh, the donors aren't coming out. I guess organizations, individuals don't want to donate money to have, I guess, their name tainted, right? I mean, or is it? Why? Why are people not donating money to support these conventions? Why aren't organizations, companies, wanting their names affiliated with any of this political uh, convention this year? Well, a lot of times the political conventions are substantially funded by corporations and kind of talking about Gestapo tactics earlier, uh, uh, more on in this case, more on the left than on the right. But you're, you're going to see it on the right eventually uh, trying to, quote, shame uh, big companies for supporting a Republican convention. Mm. And a lot of companies are just going to be thinking. You know, I, I'm not sure we need all of this brain damage. Yeah, not worth Over, it. I, on, on top of that, a lot of the, at least on the Republican side, a lot of the big donors just don't really like either Trump or uh, Cruz. And <laughs> so uh, a number of – there have been a number of reports about a number of the different sort of big, historically big funders saying they're going to sit this out. Now – when it actually gets right down to brass tacks and you've got Hillary versus, say it is Cruz, uh, you're going to have a lot of people who are saying, look, we, 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 need to, we need to help out here. Yeah. Although the Cruz has demonstrated quite a bit of grassroots ability to raise money himself. But, I mean, you could see, like, at the GOP convention, if it's going to get ugly and turn into a fight, what company would, would want their name up? Right in the middle of that chaos. Could be, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just, I mean, maybe somebody like, you know, the MMA, the mixed martial arts, you know, <laughs> some big Don King and his, one of his promoters. Um, anyway, it's interesting. Crazy, crazy time. Well, Joe, we appreciate you. Uh, take care in California. Hopefully you get to go see a, a Dodgers game. Make it all worthwhile. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Joe Cannon, go check out his website, fuelfreedom.org. He's the CEO of Fuel Freedom uh, Foundation, doing what they can to lower the fuel costs in the United States and uh, just improve the markets for fuel. Great stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Uh, Hang on with us. We've got to, you know, we're trying to give you the good in the world, and sometimes politics doesn't always feel so good, does it? But uh, we'll make it better. Just a sec. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. 
you know, we we laugh about the political process and then you get congressmen in office and then you wonder if they do a very good job because it doesn't seem like they're solving anything, right? So why not just turn it back to the people? Well, here may be one reason why. Uh, in the UK, they're trying to name a vessel, a boat, um, that the Natural Environmental Research Council in the UK has uh, has a new $300 million Antarctic survey vessel that they're trying to, to name. So they've asked for the public's help in naming these, this new vessel, and suggestions have come in uh, of all types, right? So they, they've tried the inspirational one, you know, naming the boat after somebody that's done something amazing, like uh, former uh, British Army officer Henry Worsley. He was an explorer who died in January trying to cross Antarctica without aid. But you know what? They don't like it. Uh, another name that they put out there is just that it's it's blank and cold out here, is what they wanted to name the boat. Nope, didn't pick up any votes there. Another one was a snarky title called Not the Titanic. Should they name the bone Not the Titanic? Apparently not. Here's the problem. The number one name for this boat that people love, again, this is the people's vote, is Bodie McBoatface. That's the name they're going with. The name Bodie McBoatface uh, McBoatface has 21,000 more votes than the number two uh, vote getter, Henry Worsley. Nearly 10 times more than Henry Worsley. So it looks like the NERC, the National Environmental Research Council, is going to have a boat that will be named Bodie McBoatface. (sighs) See, folks, can we turn it over to people anymore? I don't think so. Can you imagine? What do we do when we have to name a carrier? Well, Bodie McBoatface. Is that the is that the dangerous carrier, Bodie McBoatface? Oh, hey. I'm telling you, folks, this world, it's a crazy, crazy place. Well, we, uh, you know, we try to bring you the good in the world, and at least that's something that's good. Uh, a cute name for a boat. It just would be a horrible name for a Navy vessel, wouldn't it? Uh, we're going to take a break. That is the first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Again, we're doing what we can to help you see the good in the world. Next hour, a great uh, topic coming up about um, failure, the gift of failure, the many things that failure can teach us. So if you're like me, you tend to fail a lot, then uh, get in line, listen up. Next hour, we'll be talking about it. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on this side. Top of the morning to you. Holy cow. It's uh, Monday and it's underway, so relax. It's going to be a great day for you. Today, um, again, we uh, are going to celebrate uh, Louis Louis Day. We got a, you know, the great song that, um, you know, made so many people so happy. That was the song that when it came on during one of our dances, 
everybody would just freak out and think it's the coolest song in the world. Except many did not know that that the song, the version we know today, was not the version, the original version. Is that true? Yes. The guy that wrote the song. Richard Berry. He wrote it in a Calypso version. Mm -hmm. Later, it was given to the Kingsmen, who then turned it into the song that we all know. See. The song that he played... Isn't, the, it's a little the, different. A lot of times the Calypso version falls out of favor. Yes. Of all, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what people have against Calypso. Exactly. But it is Louis Louis Day. It's Submarine Day. It's also National 8-Track Tape Day. So if you've ever you know dislocated a shoulder slamming an 8-track in, then today is your day. Uh, also, in a few minutes, we're going to be talking about uh, the gift of failure. Would you feel like – do you feel like failing is a gift? We'll be speaking to the author of the book, The Gift of Failure, by Jessica Leahy. She'll be with us in just a few minutes to talk about that. But before we get to any of that, let's get to the headlines and Joe Carson find out what's going on around the country. Joe? Thank you, Dr. Matt. Bernie Sanders won the Wyoming caucus Saturday, marking his eighth win over Hillary Clinton in the last nine state contests. Sanders led Clinton with a 56% support to 44%. Wyoming has 14 delegates, and Clinton holds a large lead in delegates and superdelegates overall. A list of Donald Trump's donations over the past five years, compiled in a list by his campaign, did not include a single contribution of his own money. Trump has claimed he's given more than $102 million to charity, $102 million in the last five years. But the Washington Post found of the almost 5,000 donations listed in the campaign's report, most of the donations were free rounds of golf at his courses. At least since 2010, it seems as though Trump has given zero dollars to charity. A new poll shows that with less than two weeks to go until New York's primaries, Donald Trump holds a 32-point lead. Trump held 54% support from polled voters. John Kasich and Ted Cruz were far behind him. Hillary Clinton is favored to win over Bernie Sanders. The April 19th matchups are personal for Trump, Clinton, and Sanders, all of whom have called New York home at some point during their lives. Officials say the shooter at the San Antonio Lackland Air Force Base was a former FBI agent who later enlisted in the United States Air Force. He was identified as Technical Sergeant Stephen D. Bellino, and he shot and killed Lieutenant Colonel William A. Schroeder before shooting himself. Bellino was an FBI agent for less than two years, according to an official, before enlisting in the Air Force. Authorities don't know why Schroeder was the target. But Bellino joined the Air Force in 2015 and was trained in combat control, explosive ordnance disposal, and various other skills. Former New Orleans Saints defensive end Will Smith, not to be confused with the Hollywood actor, was shot and killed in the city after a car crash. He was shot after exchanging words with an individual in a Hummer who rear-ended his car. Police say 34-year-old Smith was shot several times and his wife Raquel was shot twice in the leg. Smith was pronounced dead on the scene and his wife was taken to the hospital. The alleged shooter is in custody and is being interviewed. Back to you, Matt. Thanks, Joe. Um, hey, Joe is uh, Joe's a new. He's he's an old student for us, but Joe is our news guy, and um, he's the one that just last Friday was on air talking about his final day. Joe is going to be leaving soon to go to Taiwan on an LDS mission. So we're honored to have him aboard. Um, also, we we just talked about in the news that Donald Trump is getting some bad press now for not giving enough to charity. Yes. But he went – he just went to the World Trade Center 
and gave a hundred thousand dollar donation. It's the rest of his uh, charitable donations he's talked about, yeah, or reported. Where a lot of it ends up being free golf. Nothing wrong with that. And uh, they're 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 from organizations and groups that uh, he's like he owns them, and so those groups make the donation, but it's not from him specifically. I see. So Donald's groups and organizations make a lot of donations. Some of it is. Uh, just like business deals, they're not like actually trading. Mm-hmm. You know, not, he's not saying here's money for your charitable endeavor. Right. It's like they're making. Well, some like deal. United Way will do a golf tournament at one of his event at one of his places probably, and they donate a lot of the free golfing. Yeah, and then they get in kind donation. Nothing wrong with that. No, but it's, he's he's counting it as donation, the same as if he just wrote a check and it's handed charitable. It over. You know, that's the that's the thing. Once they start looking into your records, but they can't even get to his IRS stuff because he's being audited. That's what he says. Except the IRS says, "Yeah, go ahead, look at him." Hey, speaking of the IRS, they're making it so much easier for us. And thank heavens, you know. Oh, thank heaven! It used to be that you'd have to spend hours doing your taxes, try to figure out how everything works. But now you still have to spend hours doing your taxes, and after that, you're going to have the munchies. Apparently, so why don't you just then go to Seven Eleven mm. and you can pay your taxes at Seven Eleven now? The children love the idea. The Internal Revenue Service announced a new partnership that will allow Americans to pay their taxes in cash. Guess you got to use cash. Yeah. At participating 7-Eleven stores. According to a news release, more than 7,000 7-Eleven stores in 34 states will participate, allowing people to pay their taxes without a bank account or a credit card. That's great. So the people that don't have a bank account, you know, or a credit card, they can go on up and you can also while you're there pick up uh, you know, a, a Slurpee, some maybe por- do a little Slurpee hot dog combo, some pork rinds, some pork rinds. <laughs> Um, the IRS encouraged taxpayers who want to pay their taxes in cash to start their process well before April 15th. Which is Monday. Yeah, or is it or Friday? Because today is the 11th. Oh, really? Yeah, so, yeah. Isn't tax day Monday, though? Oh, I don't know. Isn't it the I think 15th? It's a, I think it's a Monday. I think, yeah, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll find it. We'll track it now. It's, but, it's either or. But one of the problems is, um, you know, when they had like the free Slurpee Day, it got backed up. And you don't know what 7-Eleven is going to be doing because maybe they'll have a free Slurpee day on the same day as tax day. So I guess Monday, April 18th is the deadline. Because oh, it's the, the 15th would be Friday. Yeah, right. What's wrong with that? Well, they always give you the weekend. Oh, nice of them. So it's the next Monday. That's great. So a lot of people Either will way, be... people will, you know, one thing you can always count on is people will be late and news TV stations will be out there at 10 o'clock at night on Monday standing in front of the post office. Yeah. Waiting for a rush hour, you know, backup type situation to get to the mailbox. Sure. Even though a lot of people just file online now, so you don't have to go to the mailbox. But go to the post but office. if you need to pay, you can pay only up to $1,000. Yeah. Actually, per day. I'm not sure why that is written the way it is. So if you owe $10,000, you can take 10 <laughs> trips. But it's three, it's only $3.99. For them to process that payment for you, yeah, that's really that's really kind, honestly, because that's a that's a good fee. That's a that's not, you know, other places would probably charge you more, and you wouldn't get a free Slim Jim. Well, you'd probably have to pay for the Slim Jim. Yeah. So anyway, times they are a changing, folks. You can pay your taxes now at Seven Eleven stores. Then someday you'll pay taxes. I actually get all my taxes back now. Do so. you really? 
Every year I get a fat check from the government. Every year I get a fat lip. What do you get, Terry? Well, I have a kid and a house. Yeah. So I get some money back. Yeah. No I matter what I do, I'm going to get some money back. I have a house and six kids, and I get kicked right in the kisser. Well, yeah. But I, not, hey, I'm not complaining. I love the IRS. <laughs> they are incredibly wonderful people. I've actually I've went, I've worked with them. I've done speeches with them. I've taught hmm. leadership to them. Love them with all of my heart. <laughs> Why are you laughing? They're actually online too, Matt. Oh, um, they want to talk to you. About ah, something about an audit. Ah. Come on, guys. I can bring them onto the show if you want. We're all friends. Let's just go to 7-Eleven. I'll buy you all a Slurpee. Hey, um, interesting uh, news about the the kids today, the youth. Apparently, they prefer the internet to daylight. That's what the polling is telling us. An average young person in Britain thinks having access to the internet is more important than daylight, according hmm. to a new poll. British youth, ages uh, 18 to 25, which doesn't seem like the youth. Isn't it? Is it overcast in the UK? Yeah, it's quite overcast. A bit. So, quite a bit. I mean, you know, this isn't really they that big of a stretch. Right. They don't see it. Now, what about like teenagers in Miami? No, they would prefer the sun. So, in this, in this poll, you're asking people that don't have the sun mm-hmm. if they'd prefer the sun or the internet. And of course, they'd choose the internet. So, they asked these guys, 18 to 25, to identify five things which they felt were important to maintain their quality of life. Freedom of speech topped the list, huh. picked by 81%. 69% chose the internet connection. Uh, 64% say, said daylight. 57% said hot water. And 11% said choosing a good night's sleep. That's amazing. Hmm. The respondents who identified an internet connection as one of the most important aspects were asked how many times they use the internet every day. The average answer was 78 times. Whoa. I mean, how many times do you use hot water a day? Right. Right? How many times do you use your free speech? (laughs) Apparently, every time I speak. Yeah. (sighs) That's interesting. It's a sad, sad world. We're losing them, folks. So if you ask kids in Seattle. Yeah. Sunlight or the internet? When it's... Cloudy a lot. But they understand. I'm assuming. This is a hypothetical. They understand that you need the sunlight to exist. I don't don't know if you do. Because it makes things grow, right? It makes your food. I love a nice gray overcast day. Yeah, I do too for a day. I I prefer it always. Then you could curl up with your internet. Mainly because then the sun doesn't come through the window and hit my TV and make it so it's tough to see it. So. Yeah, you're dark. I just prefer to live in my cave and mm-hmm. experience life right there. Watch all your Marvel comics. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Star Wars. You know, all of the producers have delegated you to a, a millennial, Terry, because you share every— I know. They, they said I'm an honorary millennial. Technically, I'm about three, four years outside of the range. Right, right, right. Maybe I'm, I'm actually on the end of Generation X. Well, maybe it's more just of a maturity thing. It probably would— yeah, that would probably be it. I'm, I don't really act my age. I wonder if I'm younger. How, no, you no, ask? no. You're, you're Just, more of a boomer. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I've been promoted. So you've gone X from Generation X to being a to boomer. boomer. Great. Because Generation X is about, I was reading, what, late 1960s to yeah, the that's early me. 80s. That's me. Yeah. Well, well, there's like 
a, a gap. It, it's kind of hard to tell because there's the age thing, but then mm-hmm. there's also the maturity thing. Yeah. And so, like, but don't you think that I wear Axe? Axe body spray does uh-huh. not like somehow make you younger or seem younger. No, I think it does. No, no, it just makes you smell bad. <laughs> What about like all my hip kind of skater clothes? No, those, that doesn't work either. Yeah, they kind of got to fit, Matt. Oh, too tight? Yeah. There's just a certain age where you just can't pull off certain fashion looks. <sighs> Whatever. But you, I do prefer daylight. You can be an honorary boomer, and I'll be an honorary millennial. It just doesn't seem like I should go up a generation. Oh, it seems like I should go down. Just take mm-hmm. it as a compliment. Just because I mean, I'm hip. I'm, I'm hip. I'm more hip than you guys probably know. <laughs> well, first off, using the term hip. Yeah. You are pretty groovy, man. That's from the X Gen. Because the people that use the term hip soon will need replacement hips. The X, that's totally true. That's the, that's the baby boomers are the ones that would say hip. Darn it. Blasted. Anywho, whatever. Doesn't matter. We're all one people, right? Just a lot of different versions. We'll get there. Hey, we're going to take a break, folks. Uh, failure. Uh, experience it often, because <laughs> if so, it may be a great option. And um, to to be able to teach your parents or your kids, if you're a parent, wouldn't it be great to teach your kids that failure is not the worst thing that can happen to you? How do we? As parents, share that great goal uh, and the great reality that comes from failure here and there. Who better to teach us than Jessica Leahy, the author of the book, The Gift of Failure, How the Best Parents Learn to Let Go So Their Children Can Succeed. Interesting stuff. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you love stronger and uh, lead healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. This morning, we're talking about failure. Have you ever been there? Have you ever just blown it? Like, majorly just blown it. Ah, oh, the embarrassment, the shame. Just the, the blow to your game and to your mindset. But the reality of failure... Uh, it's everywhere. We all experience it, and uh, to some degree, you need to experience it if you want to be able to progress and to move on in life. Um, one of the reasons why we bring it up is because uh, we seem to be raising a generation of people that that think that you know we ought not let our kids fail too much. the The problem with that is that's not natural. You're supposed to fail. In fact, quite honestly. You better fail, right? Because failure would mean change. Failure means growth. Failure means it's time to figure something out. Wouldn't you need to have failure to actually know what success is? How many times have you seen uh, one of your children maybe had a really great team, an incredible baseball team or whatever, and they just kept winning and winning and winning and winning and winning. And then, you know, they get to a tournament and they get killed. And these kids are not used to failure. 
But failure happens every single day. Uh, think about the first time you played a sport and it was your chance to win the game on the free throw line. Did that ever happen? Ben, for example, in his dating life, nothing but failure. Right, Ben? Oh, you have no idea. No idea right, no idea wrong. So, yeah, my dating life's horrible. Really? You know, let's talk about it just for a minute. What – yeah, right? You're breathing through your mouth again. Oh, sorry. So a little failure. I mean you're not failing dramatically, right? It's just a little failure. Three restraining orders. It's totally fine. Okay, yeah. That's failure. That's – boy. Really? I'm just trying to be nice, you know. Is, the th- are the, is that three different people? Um, was that one person? No, you know, it's three been, different it's orders. It's been renewed. Okay, so wow. So one of them's been renewed one time, and then there's a separate one. Yeah, second yeah. one. Huh. We got a. Yeah, that's weird. Maybe you're pushing too hard. Seems like really? you're pushing too hard. I, I just thought like confidence was supposed to. <laughs> Is that what you do? You act confident, so yeah. confident that you scare them. I guess so. Yeah. Like. See again, that's a perfect example, Ben. That's why we need failure. You know, the failure to be able to, you know, get a date should teach us something. And there are steps that we need, we should take to help us get through this. There are actual steps that we should learn to make sure that we're not, you know, always just failing. Four keys to learning from failure by Dr. Guy Winch, who's been on the program two or three times he uh, He's a blogger on Psychology Today and um, also uh, has this post that made it to Huffington Post, which is four keys to learning from your failure. Now, Ben, I want you to listen up because yes. we're going to use your dating examples as we go through this um, and also just, you know, the the police interventions, the tasing, the stuff like that as, as a tool to help us through this. Uh, first key – that Dr. Winch teaches us in his article because failure is inherent, right? But there's usually going to be a breakdown that would cause a failure in in a few areas. So the first area is your planning, right? So if you haven't – if you don't plan – if you don't prepare to plan – no, if you fail to prepare, then prepare to fail. That's the axiom. But I, I do plan. Okay. So obviously, let's evaluate your planning. So for these dates that you – like you keep coming in and saying, I, I went – I had another date and she didn't show. Had another date and she didn't show. Had another date and she didn't show. So you must not be planning very well. Well, I tell her specifically, drive yourself to Moab and I will meet you there. Moab, which is hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Yeah, but like she – she okay. could probably find her way. Well, yeah, but did you even does she even know you at this point? Um, I mean, we sat next to each other a couple times in class. Okay, yeah. See, you you have to evaluate your planning because it's a you have to actually know the woman before she'll go to Moab with you. Okay. B, you usually don't like set up a date that's hundreds of miles away unless you really know each other. And so it usually would be better to pick her up Say, hey, let's drive together. Got a bunch of friends that will be down there. We can hang out. There will okay. be a place for the ladies and a place for the gentlemen. What What happens if you don't have a lot of friends that are going to be there? Then we probably ought not be going to Moab with a lady. See, that's where you're losing it. So if we reevaluate your planning, then any breakdown, 
You know, so for the team that didn't win the championship and they were all a little messed up because, boy, that defense that they faced in the championship game blew them away, then we probably didn't plan very well to have our kids ready for any defense. Okay. So it's about a planning problem. So, And we, we are seeing that that's what's happening to your dating. There's just a failure to plan. So planning, I'm going to mark that there. Yeah, planning. We, you have to spend more time thinking about who this person is. She has to actually know you. You probably ought to be on three or four dates before you take her to Moab. Okay. So how how does she get to know me then? Okay, that would be that would be different. That would be your ex. That would be your um, your execution. So is that step number two? That would be three. Then oh. so so once you have to you have you reevaluate your planning. Did we plan ahead? Then your preparation, like did you did you date her enough? Did you have your head wrapped around this strongly enough? Were you in the right place? Do you have the communication skills? Do you have the ability to carry a conversation with somebody longer than, you know, 10 minutes? Because if you're going to Moab – it's going to be a long time together. So failure is your inability to be prepared enough. Do you know who she is? Do you know what ladies like to talk about? Do you know what this lady specifically likes to talk about? Yeah. You so didn't I, prepare. I, well, I, I usually have like um, a, like a list of things I can talk about on the car, right? Well, I guess if we're taking separate cars, I would never be able to use those. Yeah. Okay. So. Well, and you don't even have a car. True. So preparation would say that that plan's not going to work. The minute you're like, okay, which car should I take? You don't have a car. So if I buy if I buy a car, I should be good on the preparation side. Right. What would happen if it started raining in Moab and you found out that there's going to be storms there all weekend? Do you have another plan? You need another. So you got to be prepared because what happens if you guys, you know, what happens if she does have you arrested? Can you post I'm, I'm very prepared on that front, though, on the arrested side. I, I know what to do for that. So what, what our good expert is teaching us is, Dr. Guy Winch, is that if you have a plan, then you got to make sure you're prepared to implement the plan, right? you got to be able to deliver on the goods. you got to be able to do what needs to be done. So, again, the basketball team. Do we do we have a do we have a plan our own game plan have I prepared my kids for what could be inevitably changes to the plan have we prepared them with other schemes have we prepared them you know are they in good enough shape are they mentally prepared do we have all that done the next tool he teaches is your execution so it's not enough to just have a really good plan and to have people prepared did they execute on what we said we were going to do and see, if you don't, after the date, go back and learn this, Ben, then you're just going to keep having the same dates over and over. Is yeah. that what you're noticing? Yeah. I, so I, I like plan out what I'm going to say and like how I'm going to ask her out. But a lot of times it turns into German. And so I start talking to Ger- – Okay. Talking Ger- so no, that's huge. Maybe, yeah, your execution's off. Maybe that's why she doesn't come because I tell her mm-hmm. to meet me in Moab yeah. in German. Well, in fact, you got to watch out for that because Donald Trump – Donald Trump's people are now saying that Cruz is using Gestapo-type techniques. What does Gestapo mean in German? I don't know. Look that up. But you're probably not executing because when you get nervous, 
you probably go all German on her. That's that's probably true. Does that make sense? And I mean, it's like it's not a bad thing to be German on her. But no, like, if she, she's she German, no. But if yeah. she's not German, it's a okay. bad thing. So speak in English. I, I've planned in English. Mm-hmm. You've prepared. In, okay. Yeah, we were going to do this whole thing in English. Then the next thing you know, you went off all German on her. Nothing wrong with German. Fantastic thing. But you got you to do better. And then last but not least, of course, after you've evaluated your execution of it, is uh, you got to figure out what of everything we talked about you can control. And you can control your German. You can control your prep. You can control how much you know her. You can control these things. And then focus on what you can change, right? Focus on your variables that you can control. It's an easy plan. It's easy. Four keys to learning from your failure by Dr. Guy Winch. And he probably didn't even use it for dating. Yeah. The biggest rule. It worked for dating. Yeah, it totally did. Biggest rule, you ought not probably date. Yeah. Let me just – let me take care of it. I'll find you – I'll find you your spouse. You keep saying this, but I've – I know. It's hard to find German speakers. I keep speakers. getting stood up. I know. I'll get you. I got you. Trust me. Just trust me. We'll take a break, folks. Uh, Come back. Continue this discussion about failure. Uh, The pros, the cons. Is it good? Is it bad? Stick with us. We'll uh, continue the journey, helping you live longer and love stronger, lead healthier lives. We'll be right back. You know, uh, the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment, you may have heard of that uh, while going through college. They were conducted more than 40 years ago, and they measured children's self-control and the pull of instant gratification. The study went something like this. Children were given one marshmallow and told that if they waited for the researcher to come back and didn't eat that marshmallow, they would be given a second marshmallow. And the test has spawned countless adorable YouTube videos showing kids exercising self-control. Well, our guest today is Dr. Lauren Buckner, author of a book called A Superhero Called Self-Control. It's a very targeted book to help uh, some of our youngsters understand the power of self-control and especially the power of self-control to help manage and regulate their own emotions. Uh, Dr. Lauren Buckner, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Great to have you. I I love this uh, this idea of self control. That's one of the reasons I, I really wanted to get you on, and I, I I want your expertise. But talk to us about this uh, about your first of all the books uh, about the superhero. You're saying the superhero is called self control, and you're trying to I guess fit the kids' mentality that they can go in and become their own superhero. Yes, yes. I really believe that children should feed into the idea of empowerment. I think all kids should believe that they're superheroes. That's how I started the book off. And I think that kids should feel empowered. I don't think that all kids with the rigor of academics always feel confident. And I think that that's the base of how we should approach kids in general is that, yes, they're superheroes. You should, um, every little thing you do can be viewed as amazing. And they should feel confident about it. And so the strategies that are presented 
are viewed as superpowers and as a means to empowerment. So that's the way that we approached it. And that led to the buy-in into kids wanting to complete these strategies. And, and so, talk yeah. talk about it. What 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 does self control help us mitigate? What does it help us? How does it help us overcome other issues? Oh my goodness, <laughs> the list can go on and on. I think that there's a balance. So before we could achieve self control, if you've heard of uh, you know Dr. Abraham Maslow, there's a whole pyramid. Kids need to feel secure physically, and they need to feel secure emotionally in order to have self control. So. In order to reach that, they need to have consistency and they need to have, they need to feel safe in order to get to that higher level of self-control. So when we talk about that marshmallow test, yes, and we want to have kids sitting and, you know, completing work in the classroom and being able to do so much of the expectations that we're placing on them, we need to make sure that we're consistent as parents, as educators, as therapists in what we're doing. And, and feel safe. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's I guess, what a powerful thing to learn at a young age, right? Because that will help them eventually manage their emotional outbursts, understanding that if they're dealing with anxiety, there are some things that they might be able to do um, to manage some of those other emotional issues. Yeah, I think that there's a push more now towards social-emotional learning and having kids become more aware of their physical of regulation, your emotional state of regulation, and that's a push with my book. It's how are you feeling? Are you feeling that I have certain language that I utilize? Are you feeling slow and tired? Right? Are you feeling, which is low arousal? Are you feeling fast emotional? Which is, are you feeling strong emotional feelings? Are you feeling fast and wiggly? It's important to be able to label your feelings in order to know what to do with it. And once you, you know the correct strategy in order to manage less controllable feelings, then you're able to achieve self-control. Yeah. Once you're able to do that, then you're more successful. And, and I, the, so the labeling yeah. of it, uh, it, I guess it also puts it kind of in front of you. It's yours, and it's this is what it is, and it might give you more of a tool to, to, to handle it. For sure. I think when we see behaviors that seem very out of control or defiant, I, I say often to parents and to educators, you know, kids don't behave just to misbehave. They're clues for us, and it's important for us to be detectives and to see it as more, you know, kids often feel out of control because behavior feel out of control and emotions feel out of control, and it's our job to facilitate them, to give them tools and strategies to allow them to independently and proactively feel back in control. That's our job. Yeah, and... um the you're an occupational therapist and yes. so so what are what are some of the things that you would sit down and uh, and teach the children or i mean i guess really any adult could learn them too um but what what are some of the skills the techniques that we might use i think first and foremost it's important to recognize in your body how does it feel when you're feeling a strong emotional feeling do you feel your heart beating really fast does your stomach start hurting? And again, that's child dependent. When you're feeling, you know, energetic or fast and wiggly, as I might call it, oh my gosh, my legs might start tapping. My hands might start tapping. I feel like I want to jump out of my feet. So that, being able to recognize, that takes time. Being able to recognize different states of self-regulation, physical and emotional. Once you get to that point, 
it's okay, what's my just right strategy? We use a lot of just right terminology. Okay, and again, I say to the kids, just like I love pizza, that's my favorite food, another kid might really like chicken nuggets. So it's kind of figuring out what works for them. And it's a process, and again, as kids get older and as you know, teenagers get older, that might change. Yeah. But being able to utilize that becomes before a zero becomes a five or a five becomes a ten and, that, and behavior becomes explosive, that's very, very important to teach into. This seems like a lot of what I work on. It's, it's emotional intelligence. You're trying to increase their understanding of their, their own emotions, how their emotions impact them, and then self-regulation. How do they regulate those emotions? Yes, and I actually have a fieldwork student here from a graduate school, and she had said to me yesterday she was surprised at how children at such a young age are so self-aware and able to say, wow, I'm feeling this way, and now I'm going to do this, and I'm going to find my just right spot to read and study, and I'm going to get this tool, or I'm going to sit on this cushion, and they were able to calmly do what they needed to do. And I know, you know what, I should have had a tea as a kid. I wish I had these strategies, and I say that openly to whoever I work with. And I think that's important also for kids to know, if not just them. Yeah, and maybe as parents, we we don't quite, uh, we don't draw the lines as clear as we, maybe we need to with our kids where they can recognize the emotion. If they, if they have a... If they have an outburst or they're showing, you know, anger or, uh, you know, just overwhelm, maybe a lot of times we don't actually end up talking to them and listening to what they're feeling, let alone pay attention and help them notice the emotion. Right. That's so, so, so important. And, you know, I have, I'm open about it. I have two kids and it's been a journey. Um, They have, you know, emotional regulation difficulties. I have a son with low vision and that comes with its own issues sensory-wise, and it's been a progress. It's been a process. I had one person actually say to me, do you push the kids, right, because you like these books? Yeah. I laughed. <laughs> I said, there's no such thing as perfect children, but yes, they've made a lot of improvements. But one thing, of course, is to validate how they feel, but at the same time, give them tangible things to do about what they're, about, you know, what they're feeling in the moment. I have sensory areas, cool-down areas throughout my house. I have a sensory dock. Like, okay, do you need to go take space and go to the sensory area? Do you need to label your feeling? I have little charts in my kitchen because that's an area we frequent often. There's tangible ways and tangible items that they can use. So they're gaining control. Hmm. I mean, again... Those skills yeah. are incredible, right? I mean, just just the idea that we're investing that much into the emotional side of our of our children it's it's going it's informing them, but it's also it's giving them some responsibility and some control over their own life. And if they don't learn it young, when would they learn? I guess other than anger management class, uh, when would right, they learn to exactly. do this? Exactly, you know. I actually sent my daughter to school with this this little fidget necklace because she was having a little difficulty with a friend. And she said to me, this is going to remind me to use all my strategies. And I said, yeah, it's funny when she's in kindergarten. Hmm. And I'm just thinking, wow, yeah, uh, it's important to practice what you preach. And it's just the fact that you could take something as little as a necklace and to hear that, that there's that connection between strategies and 
tools and just, yeah, I do with my own kids and the kids that I work with. But, yeah, the earlier the better. And I feel like sometimes people think, oh, no, kindergartner wouldn't get it. No. If you're consistent with what you're teaching and there's carryover between home and school, astonishing things could really happen. Mm. But it's important to be consistent. And I think sometimes it's hard at the end of a long day. I have three of my own kids. It's important to be consistent and set boundaries. Yeah. Another thing you mention in the book, I believe, is about the worry box. Yes. Talk I about like how you use the worry box. I use them in different ways. It depends on the kid. Uh, sometimes I will initially, when I'm introducing it, have the kids obviously choose whatever means of crayon, marker, clay pot, actually draw it out. It's like to get a tangible representation of what it looks like to them. Sometimes we'll get a visual reminder from the book that it's whatever is worrying them, they can actually take it, put it in the box. I had one kid today I actually treated a few hours ago, and they said, you know, I don't want to put whatever is worrying me against the worry box. I want whatever bad feeling to go in there. And I said, sure. Hmm. So basically, my kids feel anxious. It's an out-of-control feeling, and I think it's really important to give them as much control as possible. So a lot of the strategies in this book are all about control. And I don't just say pick up a pencil. I say choose whatever you want to use to get to create your worry box. Do you want to use a marker? Do you want to use a crayon? What color is it? What color is, you know, is your worry box smooth or, or rough? Is it not as good? Giving them a ton of, ton of choice. Now, every single worry, or, you know, if you want to use it as a bad black box, Every single one in there. Lock it up tight, 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 tight. Close it up. Now those thoughts are gone. It's giving them control, again, over uncontrollable feelings. Um, I love that. And yeah, you're teaching, you're doing this with yeah. with younger children, right? Like four to seven. Is is that the target audience for the book? It is, but I've been, I've been using it also with 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds as yeah. well, and they love it. They love it. I mean, I, I use these strategies myself sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> no, not at all. And I think none of us are. And I think that's what's so great, too, is that all of a sudden, if we can teach it to a four-year-old, we could also teach it to a 40-year-old. And it, you might have a different kind of box. But um, it, but in a way, it might be harder for the four-year-old or the 40-year-old than the four-year-old to just go there. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And that's what I, I think there's so much. What I like about it is that you really don't need any tools except for your own imagination. And I think that that's been driving a lot of even the older kids and, you know, a certain type of, like for me, it's like, hmm, maybe I want to like write out my list of things that are on my mind right now. And, you know, I was on the bus this morning and thinking about all the things I had to do. And obviously I didn't have a pen and paper. That's another strategy. And I just kind of closed my eyes and thought out in my mind, okay, this is on my mind. This is on my mind. Wrote it out folded it up, and it was done. Hmm. Yeah. That's another strategy. I mean, they're just practical, and I, I just think that they're flexible for a lot of different kinds of people. What would you, if, if, if oh, sorry, if we had to, um, if you had to kind of narrow down to one thing that every parent should remember as they're trying to help empower their children to manage their emotions or just any listener to manage their emotion, what would be the one thing that we could all do today that would make a difference? 
I think it's important to remember that it's a balance, that life is a balance, and that you have to pair. If you can't just expect to just have boundaries and then everything will be fine, it's important to remember that kids are bombarded with so much throughout the day. And by the time that they come home, the most part they're done. I think even kids who we think are just perfectly fine, school is fine, they're doing great, they're coming home spent, and then we're expecting them to do homework. And they're like, really, homework? <laughs> and then the weekend they just want to have fun. And I, I think there's a lot of kids in fight or flight right now. They're overstimulated, and I think even when we're seeing behaviors sometimes where we're just kind of like, oh, it's important to remember that they're kids. Yeah. Kids, and we need to balance the boundaries, which is really hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for a lot of parents. It's hard for every parent, I assume, to balance the boundaries with the love. Mm. And oh. just figuring out every parent is different and every family is different. And I can never say that I, I can tell you what I do, but it wouldn't work for everybody. It's just important to find your balance because yeah. everything should be in moderation. Oh, I love it. That's a great, great principle. Um, Lauren Bruckner, uh, author of How to Be a Superhero. And it sounds like even your adults. Thank you so much for being with us. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. <laughs> you bet. It's great insight for us as well. Folks, that's uh, that's the, that's a tool. And it's it's self-control. It really is a foundational, uh, essential skill set and ability that not just the kids need, we need it as adults, and we've got to learn it sometime. So go uh, go look up the website, awesomeandincontrol.com, where you can get more information about self-control. We'll take a break, folks. Uh, come right back. Continue the journey, helping you find the solutions you need for your life. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, we're learning a lot today about, uh, you name it, really, from failure and how to overcome failure, as we taught Ben in his dating life, to uh, also, you know, creating a superhero in our own children with our last interview. Uh, and we, I think we even learned uh, early on that you got to watch out what you name your Navy or your ships. Was that in this hour, Ben? Yeah, it's such a blur. In specific, well, you got to watch out because this is a. Uh, we talked earlier about the nat uh, in in the UK. They're trying to name the Natural Environmental Research Council. The NERC has put together a three hundred million dollar vessel that will go survey the Antarctic. But they're trying to name the vessel, and the name that is leading the race, sadly, is Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> yeah. Bodie McBoatface. At least it's not like a war vessel, right? Yeah. I mean, if this were like a nuclear sub and, ooh, and now we're engaging in the Siberian with Russia and the name of the ship is uh, Bodie McBoatface, we're in trouble. Bring Bodie McBoatface 20 knots. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sir, we just fired... A missile from uh, Bodie McBoatface. 
This is why we probably shouldn't just let anybody name a, a vessel or name a ship, right? But folks, maybe we are, are we beyond the point that people will take any of this stuff seriously anymore? Like, I mean, can you imagine a ship sinking? And now a naval vessel is destroyed in the Antarctic, 10 people rescued, whatever, 10 people died, Bodie McBoatface. Well, it has Scottish heritage. What does? Bodie McBoatface. Okay. It it has to do with their culture. McBoatface, you mean? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if that's what they meant. Maybe. I mean, I don't want to disparage, but it just... You gotta be careful what your name and stuff. Bloody McBoatface. Yeah. 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 It's sad. But it is submarine day. So be careful, folks, when you're naming something. Even when you're just naming your children today, too. Careful. It'll it could cause problems. It could get people beat up. Be careful. Try to make life easier for everybody. Especially the the 20 scientists that'll be on that ship. Oh, that's sad. Anyway, that's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break, come back. Got a whole new hour. Next hour, we'll be helping you deal with how not to get upset, how to keep your cool with Kim Giles from Clarity Point Coaching. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to give you the tools, the information you need to live a healthier, happier life, to bring your family along as well, for heaven's sakes. Today, we got a great show for you. Happy uh, Louis Louis. Is that how we pronounce it? Louis Louis. It's the song, but I, I just can't get it right because it's been ruined in my brain. Uh, Louis Louis was the song originally created by Richard Berry. But apparently that was a Calypso version, the lesser known version of the song. Is that right, Terry? And that's what I read. That's what we read. Here's the Calypso version. Yeah. See, and I've heard this one before. But normally you hear the one by the Kingsman. Yeah. That really is I didn't I don't quite hear the Calypso, but you can Okay. This is the original version. There's been a thousand versions since. And we're used to the other one that, you know, where the guy slurs his speech a little bit. And then the one that most of us hear, you know, hacked up by a band at a game or something. Yeah, yeah. Then that's the one that's really, or like you were saying, on my trombone. A band on your trombone when you were in band back in the day before the accident. Um, Hey. Anywho, so it's Louis Louis Day. It's also Submarine Day, National Eight Track Tape Day. For those of you that remember the. The wonderful days of slamming your A-track, blowing in it. you got to blow it clean and then slamming it in to your A-track player. This is the day we celebrate you and all you do. Uh, Also coming up, Kim Giles will be joining us. She will be talking to us about basically how to lose the upset, how to get over 
when you're hijacked chemically and you're all upset, how to, how to calm down. She'll be working with us through that. That's Kim Giles from Clarity Point Coaching. But first, let's get to Joe Carson and uh, find out what's going on in the headlines around the country. Joe? Thank you, Matt. Bernie Sanders won the Wyoming caucus Saturday, marking his eighth win over Hillary Clinton in the last nine state contests. Sanders led Clinton with a 56% support to 44%. Wyoming has 14 delegates, and Clinton still holds a large lead in delegates and superdelegates overall. A list of Donald Trump's donations over the past five years compiled in a list by his campaign did not include a single contribution of his own money. Trump has claimed he's given more than $102 million to charity in the last five years. But the Washington Post found of almost the 5,000 donations listed in the campaign's report, most of the contributions were free rounds of golf at his courses. At least since 2010, it seems as though Trump has given $0 to charity. A new poll shows that with less than two weeks to go until New York's primaries, Donald Trump holds a 32-point lead. Trump held 54% support from polled voters. John Kasich and Ted Cruz were far behind him. Hillary Clinton is favored to win over Bernie Sanders. The April 9th matchups are personal for Trump, Clinton, and Sanders, all of whom have called New York home at some point during their lives. On Friday... A judge ordered Apple to assist the FBI in unlocking an iPhone in a Boston gang case, despite the tech company's objections about privacy and national security. The ruling comes as the Justice Department's requested the company's help in another criminal case, this one involving the locked iPhone of a convicted New York drug dealer. The Justice Department was able to move forward without Apple's help in breaking into the San Bernardino attacker's phone, but the FBI director says the technique they used won't, doesn't work on all iPhone models. The Golden State Warriors tied the 1995-96 Chicago Bulls record for most wins in a season with their 72nd victory over the San Antonio Spurs on Sunday night. The Warriors won their game by six and ended the Spurs' 39-game home winning streak, making Golden State the first team to win in San Antonio all season. The Warriors will have a chance to break the single-season win record when they host the Memphis Grizzlies Wednesday night. Back to you, Dr. Townsend. Thank you, Joseph. That is going to be a big game. The game of all games. Can they break the record against the Grizzlies? That's a big deal. Oh, my son. I have a son that loves these guys, and that will make his life. I have another son that um, can't stand them because he thinks, you know, there's too many people just jumping on board because – They're all just following the success of the Warriors. Anyway, uh, great uh, day coming up, a great show. We got to get to this. Uh, I just saw a headline. Sanders clarified his comment on Clinton. She's not unqualified. Did he say, oops, someone read me a headline wrong? No, but they did did say that. Uh, But she's not unqualified. She's just compromised. Yes, he's questioning her choices. Right. She made a bad choice. Yeah, she's Which just, is kind of what she said about him, too. Yeah, right. Right. They're just compromised. Right. Because everyone is qualified because the qualifications for president are pretty clear. Well, yeah. They're Be of age. age. They're, yeah. Well, except some would question, so allegedly. There's actually a court case for uh, Ted Cruz. Is there? The Supreme Court will hear a case questioning his eligibility. How funny if it ended 4-4 four, four tie. <laughs> yeah, well, that would be funny. <laughs> Oh, not for Ted. It wouldn't be funny. Tragedy with uh, this former New Orleans Saints footballer. 
Yeah. Will Smith. That's that, just sad. He was at a, a party with some people, and then there was an altercation afterwards. He wasn't involved in the altercation other right. than he was driving a vehicle that was being uh, chased down. And, Didn't uh, somebody run into his, his – tell rear-ended him, yeah. and then then he got shot. His wife was injured as well. But then there, there's other scuttle about him maybe because he was at dinner with a man, this person that was that was arrested and now charged with shooting um, this football player, uh, Will Smith. That man's father was killed by a police officer, and the police officer was eating dinner with Will Smith. Yeah, the ex-police so officer. They, yeah, the ex-police it, officer. It's, so a, it's a mess. Yeah. And he wasn't necessarily the target, but he no. was in the way. But – Tragedy too. Too these guys give a lot of time with charities, and you know he's a big name around New Orleans. He was Pro Bowler, I believe. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, man, big arms reminds me of me back in my day. Just sad. Ben, don't say a word. Just wow. That's all needs to be said right there. Just crickets. That's all you get. So you go to the airport. Uh huh. You fly occasionally. I do. You walk up to TSA. Uh huh. And there's a little uh, screen. has an arrow on it. Okay. It'll tell you to go left or right. Okay. Have you, does this make sense? Have you no, seen this before? No, but I've never seen the arrow. There, the, you go up, and I, I've had it where there's a person standing at a little podium, and they'll tell you go this way or this yeah, way. Yeah. And what they're doing is they're trying to make it random so oh, that you don't yeah. go in and go – you don't have a plan. I'm going go to I'm gonna mm-hmm. go to the left. That will get me to the certain security person who will then just let me on through with whatever contraband I have. Right. They're trying to avoid that. So they needed something to randomize which lane you went into. Interesting. Right? That's smart. I was randomly chosen, he told me. Well, that's what they said. But I was chosen to be frisked. Yes. So this is called the TSA pre-checker, a pre-check is faster. Yeah. But it's also it also includes random searches, and that's where the randomizer app comes in. Okay. The app randomly chooses whether travelers go left or right in the pre-check lane. Do you okay. ever use the pre-check service? No, that's that's, that's about a, eighty dollars. Yeah. So yeah. you you pay that service, then there you. It's a great deal. You walk in there, and there's a pre, there's you, an app yeah, that tells you which way to go. Short line, you jump right in. That way, nobody can predict which lane each person is assigned to, and therefore can't figure out how to avoid the random check. So, okay. how much did the TSA pay to have the randomizer app created? Oh, I bet you they paid four million dollars. They paid, it says here, $336,000. Oh, you could buy a randomizer app hmm. for $2.99 and then just steal it, and there you go. So the app that does nothing more than randomly select left or right a few hundred times an hour, right? <laughs> says, we know that thanks to a developer, Kevin Burke, who submitted a Freedom of Information Act requesting details for the development about the app. And if you think paying over 336000 for an app like this is ridiculous, well, that's just the tip of the iceberg, it says here. The contract for the TSA randomizer app was won by IBM. The total paid for the project is actually $1.4 million. But the cost is broken down in the documents. Burke received. It's not broken down in the documents. Well, so what they're saying is it could be that IBM supplied all the tablets and training as well as the app for a total of $1.4 million. Wow. And the app just goes you know, left, right, well, right, left, left, You know right. how we used to do it in the old days before technology was a coin? Yeah. You, uh, yeah. We called that the randomizer. Had you go left, tells you go right. So that came out last week that... They spent a pile of cash Man. on an app that tells you left or right. Well. Keeping America safe. Keeping America safe. Making millionaires out of a few of us.
<laughs> that is sad. Yeah. What is the deal with us? You know, government overspending. It happens. It's, you know, happens to the best of us, sadly. Hey, um, again, uh, when we think about everything that's going on, President Obama admits to a mistake. What do you think his worst mistake in office was? He said it was Libya, wasn't it? It was Libya. It was what happened. His Obama noted he doesn't regret the U.S. involvement in Libya, but he said he wished he had planned better for the aftermath. Which is interesting because wasn't Libya one of the one of President uh, or uh, Hillary Clinton's like moments of highlight? Yes. So because that's where they were able to, you know, they had the what that the uh, the Muslim Spring. Yeah, that's right. And then they, you know, the government was replaced. And then a year later, they didn't want that government. It turned into chaos. chaos. And then what we have today with Libya is not what, what was there before. And so she had a moment, but that didn't last. Well, and I think that's cool that he's admitting his – I mean, that's cool you, to admit your biggest mistake yeah. in office. Many people wouldn't admit that. Well, the other problem is you admit that mistake, and then all day long you'll hear people going, well, what about this or what about that? Well. The um, what do you think about Jordan Spieth's uh, little meltdown? Yeah, I mean, it's the Masters for heaven's sakes. Those happen. You're in a you're in a big moment. Yeah, I mean it's it's a big deal. It's it's easy to lose. It was interesting to watch him finish the round at the Masters after the bogey. On, was it twelve? I think he fell apart. Was it? Yeah. And then he finished the the back nine there, and you just but Willett had. Four or three birdies out of the last six holes. I mean, yeah. He was on fuego. Yeah, he was just on fire and was able to catch him, pass him, and, and win. But it, the interesting was at the end when last year's winner awards the green jacket to this year's winner. And last year's winner was Jordan Spieth. Ugh. And so the face that, that everyone keeps zooming in on is him standing in the background after putting the jacket. Just shaking. Just it. like... <laughs> <laughs> But that's tough. That's a huge character moment. Yeah. And he, I mean, he wasn't acting up. He just played his, played golf. Was He actually had one point where he was talking to a rules official about some placement issues. Mm. And, and he was being very clear, but wanted, here's what I need from you type of thing. And, and, and so they were having a conversation. It didn't sound to me like he was being really tense or, or yeah. anything. But at that point in his head, it's like, do you focus on golf right now or the fact that I just lost the Masters? Because yeah. there's no way to catch him. No. You'd have to play perfect, and even then, it was questionable. You'd still need the the guy leading to mess up a little bit. Well, so and for any it. of us hackers that just rip up the course, right? Rip it up, maybe sounds. It's more like dig it up with yeah, the divots. That's what I was yeah. Say. Yeah, 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 yeah. We shred the course. Yeah. Well, see, we... all these words sound like you're doing great, John. Yeah. You, oh, you shredded that. Just the embarrassment of no. Golf. I really shredded the grass. Like. Can somebody get my divot back but here? But there's been multiple times in the Masters where someone's leading and then they just fall apart. There was a couple in the British Open I can think of where people just – they had a lead, maybe like three, four strokes, and then they just fell apart on one hole. And it's like a, just a mental meltdown. Yeah. He said, a very tough 30 minutes for me that hopefully I will never experience again. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. What do you do? You know, that's what you get for playing with the pros. <laughs> It's your fault. That's why none of us are there. That's why we don't even want to participate. Interesting stuff, folks. We're going to take a break. Uh, When we come back, we'll be joined by Kim Giles. She's going to walk us through how to keep your cool when things get tense. When you get upset, what are you supposed to do to get to that happy place again? 
Stick with us. We'll walk you through some tools for that. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, lead a healthier, happier life. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about uh, that that hijacking, that fight or flight that your body kicks kicks into. We get upset, and there's a variety of reasons. And by the way, a lot of them feel so good to you, so accurate to you. But if you're going to change your life, you're going to have to eventually learn to turn off some of that chemistry before you do other things. Who better to teach us how to do that than Kim Giles? Kim is from Clarity Point Coaching. She is the founder of Clarity Point Coaching. Go to the website, uh, it, to me, per pound. More free stuff on ClarityPointCoaching.com than any other website on earth. Is that true, Is that true, Kim? There is a lot of per free pound? stuff. Per pound. Yeah, I admit. And, but it's, We're trying to serve you, give you it. what you need, so go check it out. But also uh, resources that are valuable, tools that work. It's cool stuff. Yeah. You don't ever get upset to the point that you lose it. You know, not as much now. Not but, anymore. But not- the reality is all of us at times get upset. We get angry about things. We have even just stress can yeah. make you kind of upset. Oh, yeah. You know? You're tired. Sometimes, like just being in a car four hours with your family from St. George yesterday could wear you out. It could wear you out. It could get your emotions on edge. <laughs> yeah. You get to a place where, you know, you're you're just about to lose it. To freak out. We all do it. We do. One of my favorite things to do, though, is to make my clients sit down and make a list of all the things that cause you to be upset. And, of course, you know, the neighbor they hate is on the list, their job situation, their health, this person that that ticks them off, the government, you know, whatever. They make a big list of all the things that cause them to be upset. And then I give them the bad news (laughs) that really none of those things can make you upset. The, The real cause of being upset comes from inside of us. And one of my favorite authors is David Hawkins. Yeah. And he wrote a book called Letting Go. And I love what he says. He says, the real source of stress is actually internal. It is not external, as most people would like to believe. The readiness to react with fear, for instance, depends on how much fear you already had present inside you. So to the fearful person, the world's a terrifying place. That's what you see. To an angry person, the world is full of chaos and frustration And to the guilty person, a world is full of temptation and sin. So basically what we already are colors what we see. And Mm. I I always say you are or you see the world as you are. Yeah. And you really really do. It's about you. It is. It's our stuff that other people trigger and it brings it out so we can see it. But it's really us. Yeah, but we – it's so much easier to think it's them. Because I don't feel this way with anybody but you. <laughs> that person is the beautiful teacher in your life that's, that's right. there to trigger it so you can work on it. To learn, darn it. Yeah. we. You know, one of the main things that I teach at Clarity Point is that life is a classroom. And when we see it that way, mm-hmm. it changes the way you experience everything because every crazy upsetting thing that happens to you today is today's lesson. And, and and for you to yeah, learn. Yeah, for you to grow and improve yourself. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's really powerful with kids because our kids often make us upset. Yeah, totally. 
And usually they make us upset because they're doing something they learned from right. us. Where did you learn that? <laughs> from you, Daddy. Yeah. So that's a really good opportunity to it's step so back true. and say, okay, what is this? How could this be a lesson for me? Now, the problem is I've been teaching and giving all these tools for how to you know, process emotions. And, and we, we're going to talk about that today. Yeah. But before you even are capable of processing emotions, you've got to get your body under control. Right. And so I, I want listeners to kind of understand what happens when you get upset. Your body literally goes into fight or flight mode, right? The sympathetic nervous system has been triggered. And when that happens, your body's flooded with cortisol, you're tense all over, and your frontal lobe, the part of your brain that makes good decisions and thinks things through logically literally turns off. Yeah, done. Right? And it does this because of our I guess our our bodies in the past had to be able to react from a tiger attack yeah. or something. Get moving, get, get moving. moving. Don't think it out. So everything goes into your muscles and not your brain yeah, sure. so that you can run. Sure. But this isn't good for us in the modern world right. when the person making us upset is our spouse or our child. And you aren't thinking straight. Right. You are not going to handle this in a very loving way. And that all feels so way. natural. Like, yeah, I mean, that, that that's the emotion that makes it feel like you're right. Like, you're right. She's a jerk. Oh, absolutely. Look, I mean, and we look can what kind of get a little addicted to yeah, that we totally powerful that's such a... feeling. But you will never behave your best when you're in that kind of reactionary space yeah. and, you're, and your brain isn't working. So I have learned some amazing, really simple, easy techniques to get us to calm down. What? Legal? And Are they legal? They're all legal, and, okay. and we can talk about them on the radio. Cool, great. Good, good. What do we do? What do we do? <laughs> okay, so – This is just to get your chemistry – because once your chemistry is calm, then you can process – you could think things through in the prefrontal cortex. Yeah, you get your Change frontal stuff. lobe back. Yeah. Okay, so you've got to be able to get your body relaxed. One really simple way, and it sounds a little funny, but it works, is to just completely collapse where you are and be a wet noodle. Hmm. Let every muscle in your body collapse. And I'll do this across my desk sometimes in between clients. <laughs> I'll just ah, flop on the desk and, and just be completely limp for five minutes. That's great. Simple as that Now, you're not me, taking a works. nap. What are you doing? You're, you're just... not taking a nap. You're just breathing and letting every muscle in your body relax. Another thing you can do is start scanning your body from head to toe real slow and feel every muscle. Hmm. And as you focus on a muscle, that especially a muscle that's tight, the more that you focus on feeling it, the more it relaxes. It's oh, really, really weird, interesting. Yeah. but it works. And you remember a couple years ago I did this meditation retreat? Yeah, uh-huh. Ten days. You no, went to no like talking. the Zen Buddha yeah, retreat. Yeah, kind of a Buddhist yeah. thing. So in that form of meditation, all you do is scan your body to feel the, the sensations that you feel, the tense muscles. Mm. And it relaxes you so fast. Does it's it? Just, just noticing it. Just noticing it. Interesting. That's cool. Now, this one you, you have to try. You can't use your peripheral vision and be in fight or flight at the same time. So if you stare at a spot straight ahead like you're looking at uh -huh. me and then hold your hands up on the side and wiggle your fingers. You can't do that. Focus on seeing me and your fingers at the same time. Interesting. Keep huh. doing it. Now, if you do that for about five minutes, 
you literally cannot stay in that sympathetic nervous system space. Your brain isn't <laughs> wired to be able to see peripheral vision so and So let's say you're getting in, in a, an argument with your wife or your spouse. <laughs> you could go wet noodle, just hit the ground. Hit the ground. Or but take a deep breath, I guess, but but you could just start flapping your fingers in the air. You'll Near think your peripheral more vision. clear. Yeah. I know. It no, sounds but, funny, no, but No, but it, it all makes sense. Maybe that's where you call a little timeout. Like, let me go find my space. Let me go find my – I'll be back in 10 minutes. Well, actually, that's another rule I recommend to everybody. I, I need some time to process when somebody says something so I don't react badly. Yeah, yeah. So ask for that. Yeah. Say, listen, I want to talk to you about what you just said, but I need a minute. Can I? Can we reconvene in ten minutes yeah. and, and we'll talk about it? Let me go do my wet noodle thing. Let me go do all these different techniques to get centered again, so my prefrontal cortex is turned on. Right. And now one last one: like diaphragmatic that. breathing yeah. is really powerful. And basically, this is so easy. You can lie down. I just lean back in my chair and put my hands behind my head, mm-hmm. and then breathe really deep, full breaths. But make sure your stomach. Is pushing out, becoming as fat as yeah. you can be. Yeah, you need it to pop out. Yep, you need it to pop out. Let yourself just be fat. And that's letting and more air into your lungs. Inhale and suck it, suck your stomach and everything in. But yeah. make sure it's happening your, in your, your stomach uh-huh. more than just your chest. And be careful because if you don't do that a lot, you'll get lightheaded. Well, that's why I said maybe just lay down yeah, or lean back. But two or three back. times maybe just – yeah, it opens you right up. It opens it? you right and up. And immediately you're calm because you're – you are you have oxygen. Oh yeah. I mean a lot of a lot of our anxiety is our body is tightening up and we're not oxygenating. So you're, that stresses your body. Absolutely. There's also some muscles in our pelvic floor that when they're tight, we're in fight or flight for sure. And mm-hmm. that diaphragmatic breathing can actually let some of those go too. See? Oh my gosh. It's good stuff. So basically, scan your body, peripheral vision little practice, diaphragmatic breathing. Or just floppy noodle. Yeah, be a you know, wet noodle. All of these sound like one of Ben's dates. <laughs> Except he, Ex- he doesn't get the stress relief. <laughs> it's just more stressful. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion with Kim Giles about uh, what we can do once we calm down. Then what? Then what do we do? Then how do we change our thinking? How do we clarify what's really going on inside as well? Interesting stuff, folks. Uh, healing the body and then the mind. So we don't have to freak out as much. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. If you ever lose your cool, Kim Giles is here to walk us through what to do. I mean, everybody does this, right? Everybody's going to lose it at one point or another. Um, you've basically taught us already we got to control the body before you can maybe get to the mind. Some people always say, well, the mind controls the body. But once you're already angry, the body's charged. Yeah, and once those hormones have been released, yeah. you got cortisol going around. I mean, and that can last. Uh, adrenaline, all of these hormones could last hours in the body. They could. Or they could be, they, they don't last very long if you don't energize it with more information or. Yeah, if, you can calm your body down to some degree enough that you can process yeah. and, and think straight. So we, 
we want everybody to just try that. Try getting your body calmed down first. And then you've got the chance to start looking at what you're feeling in a less emotional way, a little bit more logical. Um, I was thinking as an example, this has been like a year ago, but I got pulled over by a police officer. You did? For not fully stopping at a stop sign. Now, you guys have all done that where no, no. I think I stopped I for what, like yeah. a half a second. Yeah, right. My foot was on the brake, <laughs> but I didn't stop long enough. And I was angry yeah. and I sat in the car just seething while she was back looking me, make sure, looking Making, me up on yeah. the computer or something. But I was so mad. And that was the perfect time when I had to take those big diaphragmatic breaths calm myself down, and then I could go through some steps. So I'm going to give you some yeah, of what my are steps. The steps. So first, you, you've got to just sit with the emotion for a minute. Experience it. What is it exactly? What Can you define it? What's going on? What What's, exactly are you feeling? Because I knew I was upset. Why, why do you want to sit with it? Well, it's healthy okay. um, for, the, for the most part. We can't just discount and suppress You're here all to our learn. emotions. The, the, the right? emotion's the teaching you experience. something. Right, exactly. Yes, yeah, so we want to sit with it. And I sat there and realized, boy, I feel angry. I feel taken from by this person. So my next question is, if life is a classroom and everything that I experience is a lesson, what is this lesson about? Hmm. Why am I having this lesson today? What do I need to experience from this? And and kind of sit back and, and stretch. What could it be teaching you that might be useful in your life? Yeah. And I sat there and, and I thought about my – I've got an African-American daughter. You've met her. Yeah, she's Abby. beautiful, talented. <clears throat> but we watch a, a lot of the stuff on TV about some African-American people and the police and, yeah. the, you know, those issues. And I've had a hard time having, I guess, enough empathy for what it would be like to maybe have the police pull you over more often. Oh. But I sat there and went, wow, this is what they feel. Yeah, times if 10. This, yeah. Yeah, if this happened to me all the time, you imagine how angry I'd be at the police? No way, yeah. I get it now. What a beautiful opportunity for a second to kind of experience the kind of emotion and, and the knowledge that that experience just gave me. Well, and wow. you, that creates this empathy now. Now you, now you, you can relate in a different way. Yeah. You can totally. advocate in a different way. Powerful. But you know, those lessons are always there. I find very few of us who stop and look for the lesson because we're so focused on the bad and that other mean, horrible person. <laughs> this cop was kind of rude to me. And and I could be so focused on my hate towards her that I miss my lesson completely. Mm-hmm. And that's what we don't want to do. And because so, otherwise you'll need the lesson again. Yeah, if you don't get Learn it this time, lesson. it will repeat. That is how the classroom. <laughs> That's sad. Um, you might also want to ask yourself what what about this experience could I use to make a difference for other people? How could it help me to serve others? And then look at your different options in this moment about how you you're going to handle this. And I like my clients to actually write them down on paper. Okay, here's my options. I could be a big baby about this. I could be a drama queen. I could <laughs> complain about this all day or all week that this happened to me. Yeah. You know, those are options. What's another more mature option? I could, man, I could drive better. I could <laughs> I go could read stop. the manual and figure out. <laughs> but what's interesting, though, you're, you could basically do this with any time you've blown up, you can still go learn. 
Oh, it's and go so reprocess to all go of this back to your past ones, especially the ones that you know that haunt you that never let you breathe. Oh yeah, you could just keep. You could learn. That's why, as long as it's a memory, it's a it's a learning opportunity. It is. I actually think with my clients, sometimes they learn more. Yeah. From going back to those past things and reprocessing how I might have handled that different. What other things might I have said or done? That's you know? huge. You, we learn so much from that. So Well, and think of how much – because we're so forward-focused and now you know, wanting what we want now that we do just kind of run through our life and we never value the past as much as a tool to teach us. It's kind of always in the now we want to be taught. But maybe your past is just riddled with stuff. I'm sure it is because life was a classroom the whole time. Yeah. It was trying to teach you things even That's if cool. you missed them in the moment. Yeah, totally. Um, another thing, David Hawkins says that subconsciously when you have strong emotions like that, you tend to either suppress them, bury them, and try to just pretend you don't feel that way. Right. Express them or escape from them. And with with some emotions – if you express them, you're just giving more energy to them and right. you're making right. them bigger and Ugh. bigger. Exactly. I saw a funny thing on Facebook the other day that said, are you having a horrible day or did you have a horrible five minutes but you've been milking it all day? <laughs> that's such a great and quote. So often that's what we do. So even though there's times talking about something is useful, you've got to really weigh – are you milking it? Are you staying in it? Or is this really some processing that you need to go through with someone? Hmm. And I would say the difference might be, are you in a relaxed body or a tense body? Because if it's making you even more upset to talk about it, yeah, we might be headed the wrong direction. The body's telling you something, right? It is. So use that as a cue to know when it's time to, we probably need to redo this, reprocess through it. Absolutely. I mean, really, that's you turning it into something else. I mean, a learning is a different feeling than, you know, all that tension and anger. At some point, you should be, I guess, humbled, meek. Well, or at least relaxed. Yeah. And and then let's talk about, you know, what happened. Yeah. and, and, And let's talk about it in a positive way. That's about reframing it, looking at it from different perspectives, focusing on the lesson, not just complaining about it because there's a huge difference. So, yeah, that's that's it. The minute, and the minute you complain about it, you just spread the venom. Everyone Now everyone else has to hear it. Yeah, and it reinforces that too. negativity. Uh, we got about a minute left. What's, what else? What else do we need to do to make sure we can heal? From all of this From all of this. Chaos. Um, remember that no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what this, how upsetting this thing is, it doesn't affect your value as a person. Mm. And you know I, that's my favorite topic. I love that. Yeah. That your value as a human being is not in question or on the line. It's infinite and absolute. That's why life is a classroom, not a test. If it was a test, your mistakes would count against your value. They don't. They're just right. lessons to learn from. So be in trust that you're good enough and that all these experiences you're having are just classes to help you learn and grow, but you're okay. You're good. You're, you yeah. can do this. I love that. <laughs> you're okay. <laughs> you're, you're not in question here. Your value is not in question. Uh, well, Kim Giles, we appreciate you. 
Thank you, man. You hit it as, as usual. Clarity Point Coaching is the website. Go to the website, claritypointcoaching.com. Get information about uh, – go to the More button because on the More button, you can get her book. You can get uh, a lot of other downloads and assessments, stuff like that. Wonderful tools there. ClarityPointCoaching.com. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Don't Forget Me by Catherine McPhee. Uh, it's Ben Wozden's favorite song, and uh, he just wanted to make sure we played it for our good buddies down there at BYU Sports Nation. Let's go see what's going on with our guys down there. Hello, gentlemen. Are you there? Gentlemen. Yo! I can hear you. I can hear you breathing. You can hear me breathing? Yes. You're breathing heavy. Uh, did you hear our song, Don't Forget Me, by Catherine McPhee? No, because as soon as you said, gentlemen, that's the first I heard from you. Okay. Well, you missed Spencer a great... <laughs> oh, is Spencer just getting on yeah, set? Yeah, Spencer just got in. One of one of our camera operators who, who <laughs> is just filling in today, normally as a unit production manager. So, that's interesting. Does Stephen Spencer, does, does, He's does, like, oh, he heard me. Does, does Spencer always <laughs> get... But does he always get, like... His name announced like that when he gets on the set? It, yes. ha- it happens a lot. As a matter of fact, yeah. when I walk through the IT department as well, they do that. Uh, they, yeah. there are a few people that will stand and clap. An for engineer me. specifically. Yeah. His name's Michael. We don't want to name so, names, but his name's Michael. Wow. Love you, Mike. I, you know what's weird? Every time I go into places like that, they just yell security. 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 Hey, um, that's, do, do you, Jerem, get the same treatment? No. No. I, I've, here's the thing. Yeah. Profit in its own land. In its own that's land. True, you know? That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a friend, uh, you know, a fellow coworker of these people. Spencer's a superstar. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I agree. I'm not a I prophet. Mean, either, no, I, I think you I just want to make that clear. But I think you, <laughs> I was going to like, <laughs> so when did you become a prophet? I need to hear about that. I'm just in my own land. I think that's the only analogy there. No, I'm but when you walk into our area, you are seen as a prophet. You're seen, I mean, you're seen as a, a, a leader, uh, an innovator. I wish, a, man. A stud. What what used to happen was, so we made the transition down to Studio B when we um, migrated the show from radio to TV. Yeah. We used to have our door open, and when we first started, I mean, we we're still loud. Like, we watched the movie trailers to kind of yeah. end our pre-production You meeting. of all people know that we're loud, man. Oh, you're yeah, very and loud. We were known. we were known in the hallways of BYU Radio as being like the really loud people. Yeah. Like, the obnoxious, <laughs> loud, uh, yeah. overbearing Group security, right? which, which is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. So now mm-hmm. we're downstairs. You know, we can be separate. We can yell. We can scream. They close the door. Soundproof. You know, it's all great. Man, I wish I want to be like you guys. I mean, we are also you can similarly. Just fire higher. Well, but you know, but we we now are known as the loud people in our hallway. Yeah, you've taken <laughs> you've taken that over. How does yeah. that throne feel, Matt? <laughs> it it feels great until everyone starts slamming doors. Then you feel like you're just being shut out. I couldn't <laughs> slam that door because it, it's got like a like a pressure release yeah. kind of deal. You know what I'm saying? I'm totally, I'm totally or it with goes you. Slow. Hey, I it, tried to slam it one time. Didn't it, work. You guys, um, I, I got to get to this before everything falls apart. Uh, two things sure. I have to ask you about: Warriors, Spurs. 
about those warriors? They are killing it. They just battle, man. They are. I mean, really, like this isn't. They were playing the Spurs for heaven's sakes at home for the record of the Spurs home court record, and they beat them. They had lost thirty three games in a row in San Antonio. <laughs> no, that's a lot. That's a lot. Which was the longest standing streak of any one NBA team at a certain venue. Mm-hmm. Really? Wow. That was depressing. And they and they just broke that. Plus, they didn't they win the longest, uh, the the most uh, road games in the in the NBA. Yes, they have tied the Chicago Bulls for most victories in an NBA season with seventy two. They have a chance to set the record against Memphis on Wednesday. This I believe. is it. This is it. Is it going to happen? Oh, if Memphis they're at home, <laughs> the Memphis. And I think, yeah, they're it. it's going to happen. They're going all out, man. Like it, it's going to happen. They're going to win seventy three games. That is super cool. And I feel like I'm a part of it. You know, I feel like I'm a, I feel like I'm a warrior. They're a fun team to watch. We are all witnesses. And they are, they do have that bandwagon. <laughs> Everybody's on the bandwagon. I don't know yeah. what you've been talking about. But all these Warrior fans were Warriors fans forever. Goodness. Yeah. <laughs> For, no, Warriors, Warriors have always been a really popular team. Warriors have existed <laughs> since the time of Kane. Yeah. Did you know they're moving to San Francisco? Are they? Well, they're in Oakland. Yeah, they're, they're going to they're move going across to the Bay. The they're going to be the San Francisco Warriors. Really? They're not oh. going to represent the entire state of California anymore <laughs> as the Golden State Warriors. They are. They are moving to San Francisco. That's not so golden. Like in a couple of years, I think. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I think they're. I thought they were going to put it out on Alcatraz. Maybe not. Yeah. Tra- traffic would be. Traffic's crazy. a bummer. It's hard to get that. That boat over it's hard there. Start to put lanes in water, you know what I'm saying? Okay, next thing I've got to ask you. What do you think about uh Willett, Danny Willett, uh and the the meltdown of Jordan Spieth? Yeah, the story is Jordan Spieth. That was in the unbelievable. Drink. In the drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. And and uh one of the most awkward things I've ever seen in my life was um last year's Masters champ, Jordan Spieth, having to be in the room and give the green jacket. Oh, I know. That was hard to watch. Man. Oh. I wouldn't have given I would have turned his sleeves inside out and then handed it to him. Well, he kind of tripped on the chair, too. That didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> it was just but, weird all around. Yeah. But, I mean, because – and Spieth had to do it because he's the one that won last year. Yep. And so he could have had a, you know, could've a twofer. Could have to himself. Man. Which would have been weird, too. Had the one on the back weird. and then put one up on his front. That would have been fantastic. Two jackets. Half. Puts on like a <laughs> – a zipper binds But them. can you not get it? Like, you're, this is the biggest event ever. Who hasn't had a meltdown? I mean. Yeah, that's – yeah. Even Arnold Palmer I, did, you know? Yeah. I mean, It's I was, just tough because everyone's watching, too. Yeah. It's not like – It's not like a meltdown in your bathroom. Like, yeah. You know, it's not like just freaking out at your kids on the way <laughs> to school. That's Yeah, that's different. This is on TV. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's watching. Well, that's sad. Are you guys going to cover that on your show today or anything? No. Okay. I was just, you know. What, we, were, what, we were thinking, we thought about it, and then we decided no. No. What, what are you going to cover on your show? We're going to talk about the weekend that was BYU Sports. BYU just cleaned house. Yeah. Were awesome. Across the board. We'll tell you some of the fantastic performances, like rugby won by over 100 points, for wow. example. They won by Baseball, over 100 points. Men's volleyball. Track and field, there were some record-setting performances. We'll, we'll tell you the BYU trackster who set – the fastest mark in his event in the country this year. Wow. In fact, fastest in the last four years. So we'll, we'll talk about that and how he benefited from the BYU Sports Nation karma. But Sean Olmstead, men's volleyball coach, their number one team in the country. Uh, they just won the conference championship. 
tournament starts this week. He'll join us, Sean Olmstead. Mike Littlewood as well, the baseball coach. Man. So he'll talk about their big series win against San Diego. And they play Utah tomorrow and St. Mary's, who is uh, tied with the Cougars. For uh, first? Right now for first place yeah. in WCC. So big series there. See? And, and I think a lot of it has to do with you guys because you you called 100%. you called a lot of those games. Sorry, St. Mary's is one game back of BYU right now. Well, we give them the BYU Sports Nation karma, and then Jeremy and I go and do a number of play-by-play okay. events. So it's so. the karma that's the key. Yeah, yeah. I it think helps. It's great. It really think, does. Well, and the mere fact that we have two legends that are on BYU Sports Nation. When we find them, we'll let you know. Yeah, ben if you Bagley find those guys and Michael Miner, <laughs> totally <laughs> legends in the back room. <laughs> Totally. Okay, guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. Remember who you are. Thank you, Matthew. Thanks. Do not disappoint. Season for courage. <laughs> Take care. Uh, again, folks, they're at the top of the hour, BYU Sports Nation. You're not going to want to miss it. They're going to show you how to get the karma, which Ben and I have been looking for forever. Yeah, it's hard to find. I mean, we are karma-less. Mm. We found some old Lucky Charms in their closet, but yeah. I don't think that was it. And then you brought home that Karma Chameleon song. Yeah. Which isn't karma. That's not what you're talking about. So, whatever. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Hey, I know what we're going to do. We're going to go uh, talk about two stories that we gotta we got to get out there. One story is about Sam the dog. He got to space. Listen to this. The search is on for Britain's cuddliest astronaut, Sam the dog. School children launched the stuffed animal into space along with a GPS tracker and a camera. Using a large helium balloon as a class project on Tuesday, Sam left the Earth behind at nearly 20 feet per second before stopping about 15 miles up. But on the descent, a disaster of gravity-like proportions struck. The balloon popped, sending Sam and his spacecraft tumbling back down to Earth. The camera, the balloon, and the tracker were found nearly 50 miles from where they were launched, but there was no sign of Sam. Sam is missing, folks. <sighs> Sad. Now the kids have launched a national search for their brave astronaut with the hashtag, hashtag #FindSam sent into space. <laughs> the company that worked with the students on the project thinks he could be anywhere within 40 to 50 mile radius. We do not have any data on the aerodynamics of the toy dog. Or Wanna... maybe he made it to space. Maybe he's floating out there. That's all I'm saying. In the atmosphere. So if you are anywhere, uh, I guess, in Great Britain, be looking for Sam. They need their dog back, folks. Be a hero. Get the dog back. Also wanted to tell you the story about uh, kind of – this just reminds me of the my famous category. You know, on the show, we're an equal opportunity help. Bad boys, bad boys. What's it going to do? Uh, Emmanuel Perkins is charged with first-degree attempted robbery. He um, basically was trying to rob a business owner when the business – at gunpoint, by the way, when the business owner realized that the gun he was using was a water pistol. He is now jailed on $25,000 bond and does not yet have an attorney. Police say the crime happened last week at Soul Survivor Leather. It's a store in Maplewood. And said that Perkins demanded money and the store owner feared for his life before realizing it was a multicolored water pistol, not a real gun, that was being pointed at him. The store owner pushed away the gun and told the assailant to leave before police arrived to make the arrest. Police say Perkins told them it was a St. Patrick's Day joke. 
So just a little advice to uh, any would-be armed robbers. Don't use the colored, the multicolored water gun. And don't fill it with water or it might give away that it's not a real gun as water's dripping out of the tip of it. From experience, I've found it's helpful to spray paint the gun. Invest in some spray paint. Oh, wow. And then it's a little bit more realistic. Wow. That's advice from a pro, folks. Yeah, just just from my experience. This guy makes ice cream in his bathtub. Watch out for him. Philip Brooks is the hero of the day. As you know, we like to end the show with a hero story. Who better to be the hero than a Vietnam vet uh, when he you know, foiled a robbery at a Waffle House? Listen to this story. Philip Brooks was mad that a robbery attempt at Fayetteville Waffle House interrupted his breakfast last weekend. The 70-year-old Army veteran walked into the restaurant and, uh, you know, he just right after 5 a.m., by the way, on Saturday, heading to his regular seat near the register when a man rushed in behind him. He ran up to the cash register, started demanding the money. Give me all the money in the drawer. Open the drawer, Brooks recalled on Friday. Several other customers scrambled for safety, including a woman who grabbed her two children, ran into the restroom, and called 911. We're in the Waffle House on Riley Road. There's a guy who's trying to rob us here. He has a really big gun, the woman told the dispatcher. Brooks said, however, that he immediately realized the AK-47 the would-be robber was brandishing wasn't real. By the way, second story with a fake gun. This thing was wood almost all the way up to the end of the barrel. No trigger guard, no trigger, he said. All the working parts were missing, so I just told the girls, don't give him anything, that's a fake gun. Well, I'm for real, the robber said as he swung around and pointed the weapon at Brooks. I showed him how real it was, Brooks said Friday with a chuckle. I hit him in the nose with my cane. The two then engaged in a bizarre duel between cane and phony firearm. He kept battling it away uh, and batting the, the gun away. And uh, anyway, in the end, the guy was arrested. The robber was arrested, and uh, I'm telling you, the hero of the day, Philip Brooks. Now, you, you probably ought not be doing that. That's scary. But this was one Vietnam vet that says, he says, I sat three years in infantry. I know what a gun looks like. Pretty cool stuff. He's the hero of the day, folks. You don't have to put your life in that much jeopardy to be a hero. But uh, sometimes the best heroes are the ones in our own homes. There's also no age limit on heroism. That's the show, my friends. We couldn't do it without you. We're here to help you see the better part of the world and uh, hopefully go after it. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer and love stronger. We're out of here. KBYU-FM.